Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. What is up, Gypsy Gang? Joining us on the podcast today is a modern downhill icon, Tani Seagraves. From the highs of the World Cup podium to the lows of a year out with a head injury, Tani shares some amazing insight into life, dealing with struggle and how to rebound with a fresh perspective and appreciation for life. On the show, we talk about the darkest year of her life going through a head injury that caused her a serious state of depression and anxiety and how she used meditation to heal and get back to her normal self. From almost a career-ending injury to her rebound season in 2023, to her off-season trip to California and her plans for 2024, this was a really great episode of the podcast. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but you can make it simple. I make it simple by drinking AG1 every morning to start my day. One scoop mixed in a glass of water once a day makes me feel energized, nourished, and ready for whatever the day brings. In that one glass, I get my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre- and probiotics, plus more. It is a simple, healthy habit that you can try too. With AG1, I know I'm giving my body high-quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process so you know it's safe. And the ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and and nutrient density. In just one scoop, I know I'm getting my essential brain, gut, and immune health support, covering my my nutritional bases for the day. If there's one product I recommend to all my friends, family, and of course, the Gypsy Gang to help elevate your health, it is AG1. And that's why I've partnered with them for so long. So if you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash gypsytales. That's drinkag1.com slash gypsytales. Gentlemen, are you tired of dealing with that relentless stubble situation? Do you dream of having that fresh, clean-shaven look but cringe at the thought of battling the daily grind of a wet shave? You are not alone, and that's why we have teamed up with Manscaped to bring you the ultimate solution. Brace yourselves because Manscaped is making a statement in the beard game with the all-new handyman electric face shaver. Your ticket to a face as smooth and as sharp as James Bond or as, uh, you know, kind of trimmed and manicured as mine is today, which is normally not the case. Join the 9 million gents worldwide who've entrusted their grooming to Manscaped with our exclusive offer. Hop over to manscaped.com and use the code GYPSYGANG to snag a glorious 20% off and score free shipping as well. The Handyman features skin-safe technology and those pesky nicks and cuts are history, giving you the confidence to aim for that super close shave. Whether it's wet or dry affair, the Handyman is your trusty sidekick ready for action no matter where you go and its compact design and aeroplane friendliness make it your ultimate on-the-go grooming tool. And for the fellas who flaunt a little bit of extra scruff like myself, the Beard Hedging Pro Kit is the holy grail for taming your mane. Featuring their signature beard, Hedger, this thing is just a juggernaut of fixing faces. Cordless Trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair cutting lengths, all with one guard. 
Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code gypsygang at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code gypsygang at manscaped.com. All right, listen up all you gloveless mountain biking freaks out there. I get it. Traditionally, gloves made by gear brands can be a bit of an afterthought and not the most comfortable, which is why a lot of you ride without any gloves at all. But before you swear off gloves forever, I would like you to head to fisthandwear.com and order yourself a fresh pair of fist gloves. I've been wearing the one glove brand for about 10 years and I do not see myself switching anytime soon. Fist main product is their glove, which means all of their R&D and team rider feedback goes into sculpting the nicest pair of gloves money can buy. I personally run the Stocker, and if it's uh, if it's like a little bit cooler in the summer months, I run the Breezer. Uh, they're easily the most reliable and most comfortable gloves that I have found on the market. You can try a pair for yourself and get 15% off retail by going to fisthandwear.com and using the code GYPSYGANG fisthandwear.com and the code gypsy gang all right before we go uh, i'm just going to give one last call out i think this will be the last call out for the entries to the gypsy 500 we're almost sold out and this event is shaping out to be an absolute blast we're down to the last 20 teams so make sure you get your entry in to join us on march 9th at mesquite nevada for 500 minutes of moto epicness the mesquite track is one of the best on the west coast and this unique track will feature half moto and half enduro, and it's the perfect weekend to enjoy racing dirt bikes with your mates. To enter, go to verbmoto.com slash gypsytales. That's it for me. I hope you enjoy this awesome episode of the podcast with the lovely Tani Seagrave. From the gang called Gypsy. Gang and they come and get Gypsy. Gang and they come and get Gypsy. Gang. I'm at a Gypsy. Gypsy. I'm at a Gypsy. Fully. Is it better with them? I think it's better in the sense that you can kind of so just flip that now, like so. Go. Like, what do you just mean? like the one that's in oh, your right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so hard okay. to explain. Go I do ahead. mental gymnastics every time. I'm like trying to trying to describe <laughs> yeah. what what way a person needs to turn that. Oh, someone had a big head before me. You should see the size of the dude that was in here just before <laughs> you. He's like six foot four, two hundred and sixty oh, pounds. Professional jiu-jitsu athlete. Oh, nice. Just a full-on beast. <laughs> that explains. So, literally the, just go for yeah. it. <laughs> I've got a peanut head as well, so. Oh, that's so funny. There you go. Stop fiddling now. So, Tani Seagrave joins us on Gypsy Tales, which I'm really excited about. A, there's not enough girls that come and do the podcast, so it's just a breath of fresh air on, on that front. Uh, and B, I'm a lifetime downhill Rider, fan, and uh, and you're a savage. So on, <laughs> on those two fronts, I'm very excited to have you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. We uh, so we were just talking about Vicky Golden, yeah, and how, and how epic uh, she is. She literally just won the Coupe de Gras race, which is like the I think it was like an hour and twenty minutes at Glen Helen the other day, and just she is so so gnarly. Yeah, so it's cool that that's like one of your moto kind of. Yeah, like people that you like across the disciplines. You yeah, know? I mean, I don't, I don't actually follow Moto. I was actually nervous coming in today, like, oh my god, is he going to ask me questions <laughs> about some of the boys? But I do follow Vicky, and I think she's so cool. And like, I see, I don't know, from the outside, someone that doesn't really know about that much about Moto, it seems like she does a lot of different stuff, yeah. and it's really cool. And she pushes herself a lot. So yeah, and I think the coolest thing about Vicky as well is, and you'd know this being a woman in sport. Like so often you're compared to men and it's very hard 
to play in that space. Like there's just a, there's a difference in physicality in like so many sports, you know. And she is just this anomaly <laughs> where she is a woman in sport that is compared directly to men. And yeah. it's, it's really cool what she's been able to, I guess, the level that she's been able to get to. And like in mountain biking, it's hard because it's like it's so body dominated in mm. terms of like your physical output is very linked to yeah. your genetics, you know. Whereas she's just got that right hand and yeah, she's just, just you know, she can just send it with the boys. And I think she's such a, a a cool athlete in that respect, you know. For sure. Yeah, we kind of miss the throw part. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure if there yeah. was there's like an equivalent way to do it in, in mountain bikes, but it's like yeah. so much harder because you just don't have a throttle. Yeah, I mean we, we have the same like send in our minds you know like i still want to send some some big things but i guess we are a little bit behind in the fact that we haven't always had the same opportunities and obviously i don't know when i was growing up there was a lot of men to look up to but not really as many women and if there were women to look up to they were kind of like specialized in a certain um field in a way like either racing or there wasn't any free riders so i didn't like I wasn't interested in taking my hands off the the bars until I was well, literally twenty six years old. So <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, so it's just it's cool that you got that crossover, and I think yeah. from the outside looking in, because I'm I'm a fan of downhill. I wouldn't say I'm like kind of in that <laughs> world at all. I got some friends involved, but from the outside looking in, it seems like you're one of the first generation of those women. So it's like you might not have had those women to look up to but you're kind of one of those first people that young girls can look up to now so which which is yeah is cool to you know if you didn't have someone to look up to growing up like the fact that you can grow into what you wanted is pretty rad yeah I think that's that's pretty sick when you put it like that like I never really thought obviously I just ride my bike and race my bike and I love it but one of my best mates from home uh Veronique Sandler who's also she used to race but she actually like switched into freeride and she's like literally the pioneer of freeride free her and another girl yeah, Casey yeah, Brown yeah, they kind of yeah. like paved the way but because we hung out so much and we ride the same shit at home now it's like she was doing no handers and I was just like well I might give that a go and then before you knew it, I was at a race and I just like pulled it on one of the jumps and like it became a big thing and then I think more women saw that like, they were like oh well, if like a racer can do it like I'm sure I can do it, you know. So I think it did open like that kind of, in, and it's like progressed like heaps and bounds since then. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. now there's such a strong female presence in the in the sport, and there seems like a it moves from like a, I guess in a lot of sports you'd have it as like a novelty phase. Like mm. even in the UFC, like I'm a big UFC fan, and you know you had Ronda Rousey, and there was a couple of oh, yeah. couple of, <laughs> of early chicks, but it was still like a novelty part of the sport. It wasn't like culturally embedded in the sport in the way that it is now. Like you, you now you watch a UFC card, and the co-main event is a is a women's yeah. fight, and yeah. you expect a war in the same way that you would expect it yeah. from men. And I feel like. <laughs> mountain biking for the female aspect it's become like culturally embedded in it to where it's like even girls have different style they have different like you run in the pink and you know like you've got your style there's other girls that have a different style so 
you kind of, it's not just like this one-off novelty person anymore. It's just like a fully a scene and it's got its own vibe and its own culture. And to, to see a sport get to that level is sick. Yeah, no, for sure. It's funny you bring up the pink because that's literally like a whole personality trait now, you know? Yeah. So I just feel like that was something that was kind of not planned out in a way, but like we're, we're talking about, you know, how the men and women are different. And when I was growing up, like there wasn't a certainty that I'd get sponsored or that like I'd get, or if I did get sponsored, I wouldn't get the right support or maybe I wouldn't get paid to do what I'm doing. So in a way I kind of knew that I had to. Yeah, have a thing. Yeah, like so that people could kind of see me and there was a constant theme running and yeah you know now I'm just I'm that girl that rides in in pink and when I was younger it used to be I was the girl with the baby blue bike like there's just something uh, that people kept seeing over and over and they're sick of me <laughs> like yeah. they're, they're so sick of me but in a way it's really helped me as like not only a racer but as a personality outside of racing and obviously like Instagram and like my profile and all that it's made me really valuable yeah yeah man the Looking at yourself from day one as a brand, no matter everyone's a brand. Like, oh yeah, well if you're on Instagram, you're a brand. That's it. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, in terms of like, there's a way where you can you can have a personal brand in your local town. Yeah, you know, like you cannot be connected to the internet. Like, let's mm. go pre-internet, and you'd be like, oh yeah, he's the nicest guy. Like, you know, or that person's a dick. Like, at some point in your life like you do become a black a brand you become yeah. like a like an entity to yourself you know mm-hmm. and in sport and in this modern age of it like yeah you can monetize i guess not like maybe monetize puts it in the wrong light but you can you can legitimize what you do you can get paid like for me i just i love talking to different people about mm. their sport and their you know whatever Moto is like the lane that it's kind of in. You end up getting sponsors in that lane. You end up working with those people, going to those events. Like there's a, in this modern era now, like if you are smart and if you do think of yourself as a brand from day one, like you can position yourself to Mm, have crazy opportunities that weren't available years ago. Yeah, definitely. I feel like you can't just rely on like, for example, your results anymore, unless you're like the top dog, like that dude. Like even when you look at someone like Jackson Goldstone now, who's, you know, won he won two World Cups this year and he's like first year elite. He's still a brand and he's got like so many followers. Like he's like the TikTok generation, even if he's not on TikTok himself, you know, he's just got a huge following of that next generation behind him that are on Instagram and like do follow him. So I think, yeah, it's, it's a big part of athletes nowadays. Whether you like it or not, it, it comes part of parcel. So You know what's crazy? I had Carl Strait in here last week. Yeah. And uh, he was talking about Jackson. He remembers seeing him in Whistler and the bike park on a Strider. <laughs> yeah, it's all he's ever known, that kid. Isn't yeah. that insane yeah. that we now live in the world where a Strider kid <laughs> is now the best dude in the world at World yeah. Cups? It's like, crazy that he's actually managed to live up to you know what everyone expected from him because I can't imagine that that was easy like I've been in the spotlight a little bit when I was younger like a lot of people expected stuff from me but he's like gone and done it and he's gone and done it fast you know? uh. and he's, he's a good kid as well and um yeah he, he just he shreds and it's this new style as well he's not 
you know, down low and, and going super fast. He's really creative with the track and it's just a new style we're seeing, like of obviously the new generation that are bringing in more of that free ride style. And he's like epic on a dirt jump bike as well in the skate park. So yeah. it's cool to see that all, all mixed up into one. I can't remember which World Cup it was because I'm bad with the tracks. They all just all look good. the same. I know. And they all sound <laughs> the same. <laughs> Fort William, obviously, like there's a kid, you know, that one's sweet. Yeah. But there was one of the World Cups this year and I was really, obviously the Discovery thing this year was new. Yeah. And then they're like, yeah, Jackson being in Elite, like mm -hmm. there was some really cool storylines to follow. Yeah. I remember the it was one of the first few rounds and he didn't win the race. But the run that he put down, he just jumped the entire way <laughs> down the track. And it that yeah. was the first time where I looked and I was – and, I mean, it's probably happened a bunch of times yeah. before. But that was one of the races where I could look and be like, wow, the style, like, that's very different. I mean, there's a new kid on the block and I think everyone's kind of shitting themselves a little bit, I'm not going to lie. So, yeah, you know, but it happens all the time. Every five or six years you have a new wave of riders, but you still have, like – the people that are just consistent and grind away and want it so bad. People like Loic Bruni, who's been like, what, six times world champion or something? That's just, you can't really compare the two, but I think we're in for an impressive season next year. How uh, how did you find the changes to the series this year? Not the best? Well, I think, like, I personally was very open-minded. Obviously, I spent the whole year last year off with a concussion yeah. and post-concussion syndrome, yeah. so... Coming into this year for me was just a bonus and there was a lot going on. Like we have a, a, an association, so a group chat with like top riders and there's been a lot going on in there. A lot of people were worried for the future of our sport and they were right to be worried. You know, it's a, there's a lot of money coming in from somewhere and going some places we don't know where, <laughs> like we haven't seen it. But So what's the, the money's coming from Discovery? Well, I don't really know. I guess they just... Honestly, I'm not the like I can't speak for them because I don't yeah. really know. I just know that obviously with all deals like that, there's got to be money involved because Red Bull used to own well, the Red rights. Bull was paying something. Yeah, so and yeah. they they created like a a good series. Like people loved watching it. Obviously, people could tune in for free, and we were hoping that yeah, if they did make it a little bit more pro and elite, like the whole sport itself would kind of elevate. Maybe it's the change we needed. But after this year, we kind of let it run for a year and we were like, okay, let's try it. We had a semi-finals put in. No mm. one was really keen for that because we are all like, downhill is that one run. Like the whole yeah. art and passion of downhill is like that one run that we all look forward to. And we just feel like it got messy. Like we couldn't even, like for fans, we heard that they couldn't watch it. But as a rider, it felt messy. Like mm. I was lucky because like I said, I had no expectations in a way. So I just took every race as it came. And, and you coming off the injury you're kind of just stoked to be there at exactly that too, i was yeah. like every day i was riding my bike i was stoked so yeah. I, that's all I, I was in there for but as the season went along and like yeah we were just i, I know most riders aren't happy yeah no. yeah okay no <laughs> it's a big risk for them like it it seemed gnarly it seemed like a huge fuck you to red bull like is oh. what it seemed like with how 
much they would have invested in that because I've I've worked with Red Bull a bunch to know that like they don't really make money on any of that shit. Yeah. Like it's all that's all of that is basically branding, you know. Yeah. And that that was gnarly to be like and there from what I heard too there was like no first rider refusal, no like option for them to stay. It was just like no, nah, see you. Yeah. Uh, Again, like we don't know what happens behind yeah. the scenes, but like I don't know, like like I said, we were super happy with how Red Bull were doing it, but there's always room, room for, for improvement, improvement. Yeah. and we were stoked. We were like, let's just like let's see how it goes. But it's not that they've done everything bad. Obviously, Discovery have done a really good job of a lot of things, but and they're new to it. Like they're they're brand new, so I feel like we need to give them some time. But personally, the whole semi final thing for me just and for a lot of other riders just doesn't work. But then. They reduced the field massively to finals. Yeah. So I feel like that was their way of being like, oh, well, it's not as savage if we just put a little semifinals in there, you know? Yeah. But it just made it so hectic. Yeah. So hectic. What did it change? Like, did it do anything to influence, like, results, do you think? Like, yeah. Did it, yeah. Okay. Definitely. Like, we saw, like I said, this year, we only saw Jackson win two World Cups. There was a new winner at every round for the first six, well, seven rounds really and like in the women for the first three there was like or four there was two different winners sorry four different winners so for us we were like geez this is really mixing stuff up so in that sense it was more exciting but it was just a shame that the whole format didn't build it up in that way red bull used to give us characters and um they would like make storylines and yeah it would be fun to watch and yeah some of it might have been like a bit over dramatic but that's like kind of the cool part about it like yeah. putting two people against each other to fight it out like that's what we want to see on a race weekend everyone is in sport for rivalry exactly and we you know at the end of the day the riders kind of love it as well it creates like a cool story but we felt like, well i felt like there wasn't as much of that with the discovery in there they were just like that it's like they needed tv time yeah and that's what they went for yeah but Hopefully, like, we're all learning. Like, hopefully they're learning. Hopefully they take on the feedback from the riders because they are willing to work with us. But it's just hard with the UCI as well because they have a lot of yeah. um, power in what we do. So there's, like, three parties here and it's just, like, all very confusing. It's the it's the same in motocross and supercross. We had one of our biggest switch-ups ever this mm. year. So there's always been the two series. So you have supercross. And then you have motocross yeah. and they never talk to each other ever. <laughs> and that was just a, a full on like stonewall one. They basically didn't exist to each other. Yeah. So like separate TV channels, separate everything. And then this world supercross come along, which is like the first ever competitor series. That's like tried to actually really have a crack, like buying mm. top rider. It was kind of like live golf sort of deal. Yeah. Um, and so they came in. But what it did was it actually got the Supercross and Motocross series to come together. They did a new NBC TV deal. I think they got like eight million bucks or something for the TV Jeez. deal. And then in that, they created like this new playoff series that that paid out like millions of dollars. Yeah. So it it was like a, a huge shakeup. And it ended up, I think personally, it worked out better for the sport. But when when you have three parties so there's yeah. like you have the ama which is like kind of the uci and then you have motocross and supercross and then none of them are talking together and then the riders are on that side and then there's the teams and then the riders and the yeah. teams kind of there's always that dynamic that's going on so it's like 
man and and that stuff halts the growth of the sport you know yeah. because it's just like in human history in general like you, you can read a, a history textbook of the world and you'll just see it was like progress war 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 progress <laughs> yeah. war war progress war and that's pretty much the same thing that happens when you get these deals that run you know and i think you look at like the ufc they've been so successful because one dude called the shots mm. and just made the shit happen like okay we don't like all right you don't want to do this cool you're out like yeah. and it, it actually as ruthless as it is like you could actually make progress so it's like what's the balance <laughs> between those two extremes you know i think it's just gonna take a few years for us personally like obviously i'm getting a bit older and like i'm kind of not annoyed in a sense but like it is you you do get a bit gutted that all this big change is happening now yeah because like i obviously want to reach my peak and have like the season dialed but obviously everyone's in the same boat at this point so but i know that 90 percent of riders maybe even like 95 are on in the same like yeah they're thinking the same we all think the same and we're just gonna have to try as riders to like come together and make a change i don't know like if in moto they do that at all but nah, that's yeah. another problem like yeah. i think you guys probably have a bit more cohesion than yeah. the, the moto guys do yeah what would you change if you had a magic wand within the format or just, just in the, general just in the, like if you could if you could magic wand like your sport your discipline like mm. when it comes to the formats the tv the partnerships like <sighs> there's just so much there's a lot <laughs> There's a lot. I feel like, you know, we race for the love of it. We yep. always have done, especially like in mountain biking. I just feel like we just feel lucky to be there because we're living the dream and yep. it's a young sport. And I feel like in the process, we kind of, we, we're used in a way for, mm -hmm. for entertainment. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of things that could change. But I feel like one of the first things if I feel like if they've got money, but we could go all over the world. Like we we yeah. only have one race in America, and you know they have to do we, that. And we go to the same place every year for yeah. like years on end, and then we go to, back to Mont Saint Anne in Canada every year. And like I love that place, and I actually love the track. But would be nice to just like expand a little bit and yeah. like give us more races and make it a world championship. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not a European one, but. Yeah, I don't know. That would probably be one of the things. And I would probably do that before I change the semifinals just because, like, I've been racing for World Cup since I was 16. I'm 28 now. So it's like I've been going back to the same places. So I don't know how Greg Menard does it or how he feels, <laughs> but it's kind of boring, like, going back to the same track every time. And there's a little change. You're like, ooh, you get yeah, so excited. Yeah, like, yeah. yes. And it's like two meters of track. But that should be the least of the things they do for us when, you know, we're – risking our lives every weekend for for entertainment but we wouldn't have it any other way and they know that you know we're still going to turn up and we're still going to race well i mean that's kind of like just the problem with action sports yeah. in general right or like any i mean dude I, when i started filming i filmed for free yeah because i just wanted to be there I wanted yeah. to go to the races and i wanted and then i when i was too good to do it for free then i'd do it for some boots and a helmet and, you <laughs> yeah. know, and, and then oh, a free bike. And yeah. I think, you know, that mentality is so like just rife within these sports. And, you know, even like I heard some stuff the other day that 
like the stark e-bike is they're trying to race and then there's like companies that are literally blocking them from racing because they don't have a competitive like like a a competition to that that other product right and it's literally goes down to as deep as the people that are making the decisions to ban a bike don't even really get paid yeah but they get free bikes yeah from another company and so it's like that what you're talking about mm. is like so deeply entrenched so true. in what we do like how many dudes do you know work at a gear company they've just finished riding or they they weren't good enough to make it riding and they work for like 1500 bucks a month and, yeah. and they just get shipped around like it's just yeah people prey on the fact that we would do this shit for free yeah they know we're slightly mental you know we're yeah. still gonna do it it's true but like back before i was racing like palmer and yeah um pe and all that maybe not pe but i know that, like palmer was on a million dollar deal you know and that's just the sort of money we'd never see nowadays like who was that through who was that deal through like who was i that? can't remember maybe <laughs> I really can't remember, but they were like out. They were like car sponsors and yeah, that. yeah, um, yeah. Because they had like Kia and Nissan and yeah, Nokia like, and all that. I can't. I think I'm gonna sound silly now, but was it like Muddy Cats or something? Oh, Mad Cats. Mad Cats. There yes, we go. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. I, oh, the Iron Horse team. But that was probably after actually. But there was an era where they got paid a shit ton of money, and then I think, from what I've heard, this is just like a tale. People from the other side of the world say like australia wanted to race in europe and they would just do it for a free flight yeah. ticket and then all of a sudden the value of the rider just plummeted because this dude from australia who's fucking sick on a bike that would have been like will Kavaric, race for free that would have been like Kavari, literally running like that would have been that yeah era. and i feel like instantly it just devalued the rider's like value obviously because they're like well fuck that I'm, i'll ride for free like <laughs> he's long- winning by 15 yeah. seconds and <laughs> yeah. he's riding for yeah. free they're like if you get me to the other side of the right ri- the world and i can ride my bike sweet yeah and i think yeah just since then it's been like a, a slow slope to to try and value riders again to what they're worth yeah and mountain biking's so interesting in the way that there's so many fucking mountain bikes. Oh, it's crazy, yeah. Like it's the, grown a lot since COVID, especially. Like Oh man. So I grew up I grew up racing downhill it would have been in like oh three, oh four. Like I have a OG Proper Kavaric time. Like literally, like <laughs> it was Sam Hill was just yeah. I think he might be a year older than me. Sam Hill was a junior. I was a junior in Oz. Yeah. Like you had Kavaric, you had Rennie, you had Ronning, Manar, Petey. So like that that was the the era that I grew up in. And there was like seven, eight, nine bike companies. You had mm-hmm. like Kona, Intense, GT. And they were probably running a certain frame and just stickering there it was, up. Yeah. Yeah, There was, yeah. <laughs> uh, the Mongoose was an Intense. And, yeah. You know, like, so I think everything was intense. Basically, that, basically that time, back then. Yeah. But so there was not that many bikes. Like there yeah. was only a few companies. That granted, there wasn't as many people riding mountain bikes. But man, nowadays I'm I'm so out of touch. I could not. There's like a new frame company or a new mm-hmm. like that. I know I'm like, how is that? Have I been gone that long? <laughs> yeah. Like have I been not paying attention long enough to miss? 85 bike manufacturers and so it's mountain biking is weird in the sense so to draw like a moto comparison right Mm -hmm. there's like six manufacturers 
that you yeah. could ride for. Yeah. And well, I only know two of them, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so you got your Honda, Kawasaki, Yamaha, yeah. um, Suzuki, KTM. Now there's three different kinds of KTMs basically. But so because there's all these people riding those bikes and there's only a, sh- a few that the person, uh, like a consumer can actually choose from, the pie ends up getting divvied out in a way different way. It's like they're... I've never really explained this, so you're going to have to work with me. But it's like (laughs) there's only so many companies that you can ride for. Mm -hmm. So there's only so many seats. And then there's a a ton of different guys that are trying to fill those seats. And then so you've got like uh, let's say 10 factory riders for the five companies, right? So there's these 10 seats available. So the the rider worth and then there's so few amount of options, like it just creates Mm. this dynamic where they have to pay really good money yeah, because there's only a few bikes and there's like these handful of guys and that's the pool that you've got to pick from. Yeah. Whereas with mountain biking, it's so diluted Yeah. because there's so many, there's so many riders, but there's also so many options that it seems like there's, it doesn't create that kind of dynamic where it's like the one brand needs the best guy to, mm-hmm. to sell to to be the best bike yeah and in mountain biking it's just so different but when you look at the sport from the outside and like let's say compare it for moto like to, i mean some of those guys are making probably eight nine ten million dollars a year in motocross and supercross and there's more people riding mountain bikes and there would be more mountain bikes get sold every year yeah and there's probably for more money because they're so insanely expensive yeah yeah, we but, were saying this actually. Like, the, a a good bike is like the same as a good motorbike, and we're like, oh, way more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like you could get a brand new, a brand new two fifty F, like to get you kind of like into the sport or whatever. Yeah. For eight grand, brand new. Yeah. Top, and that it's pretty much what like one of the high end brands like full build would sell. You, mm, yeah, but if you get like an S works, you know, mm-hmm. like you can, yeah, you can bury twenty grand in a mountain bike yeah. super easy. But yeah, so it's it just creates like a weird dynamic. But you would think on paper, so many more people mountain bike. It's so much more accessible. It's so much easier to get into, like barriers of entry from like being a kid. And yeah, you would just think that it's different, and you would think you guys get paid way more than you do. So like, there obviously is a few pieces of the puzzle that kind of aren't in exactly the right spot if that makes sense yeah for sure well especially as like a woman in the sport as well I mean I've had to graft really hard since I was younger and I didn't get paid until I was probably 21 maybe and I was probably on like 10k a year Yeah, right. you know so um and then the when I was 21 I started winning world cups and I get paid more now than I did when I won like the most World Cups in two seasons. Yeah, right. And it's been like, it's been so gradual, like it's been graft. Like I've had to work, I've had to like build really good relationships with sponsors. And But that was always how my dad kind of set me out to be, like because mm. he was just so realistic, I guess, in a way that he just knew that women didn't get paid in, in the sport and not many people were getting paid anyway. So hence why I've got my own team and I stuck with my dad the whole time and now we have a pro team and I never signed for a different team, I guess, because I was so worried of signing and getting dropped within a couple of years and that was me done because I always saw 
a bit more for myself. I guess I didn't see, I didn't know if I was going to race my entire life and I don't trust myself to not get bored of what I'm doing. So (laughs) if I had that, you know, that, that comfort place where I could just do whatever I wanted. So yeah, I've kind of gone a bit solo, but I think it's worked out in the end. And, you know, I do think it's getting better, but yeah, you see people riding, you know, for, for free on like, well, probably not on pro teams, not anymore, but it's, you know, some teams like we as a team, we don't have much money. We're on like a tenth of the budget of what like another team that's a pro team parked up next to us. Yeah, right. And, you know, they've got millions invested. We don't see a figure like that at all. And we're trying to operate a 15 staff team. And, you know, we have some of the best riders in the world. But because we're, you know, a B team or, you know, we're not the main team, which is my choice as well. But yeah, yeah it's hard to to balance and then you, you have no idea what the other riders are worth you have no idea I think we've started speaking a bit more especially between the girls yeah that's helped a lot but you know some riders are valued up here and others are you know down here that's who was talking to oh Jason Wygant he's like the commentator for Supercross and Motocross yeah. he was talking uh, we were having a conversation about that the other day and it's also tight-lipped in action sports like who makes what mm. and how much money but it kind of actually works against you guys for sure in a way like it, you guys kind of should tell each other how much you make and mm. because then it sort of levels everyone out and then you get a, someone going to whatever they're like well tani's on this much and i did this like it kind of sets a value yeah. and then like the market decides it's when <laughs> but when it's so secret like yeah. when it's not a market when you don't know the yeah. like things market value it's just you're just placing a random yeah. figure every single time that that you're doing a contract. That happens a bunch in moto too. Yeah, well, same in mountain biking. I think you're worried to value yourself as well because you're like, shit, I'm living the dream. Like literally, you are. But at some point, I've got to pay bills, and at some point, I do want to live outside of just this little bubble we have. Like yeah. I want to be able to buy a house. I want to be able to have a family. I want to be able to take care of myself. And, you know, those things, when you get a little bit older, you're like, fuck, well, I need to get paid. Like, oh, I need to push for myself. Just the injury risk. Well, yeah, as well. Like, luckily in the UK, like Red Bull UK actually cover, like, uh, I've been yeah. injured since, like, dude, since 2019. So every year I've had surgeries and, like, Red Bull have covered all the surgeries. But I was saying to people, if I had to cover that myself, oh, you'd be broke. I'd be like... 40k in debt like more more because my concussion I actually had to I did my own concussion stuff because I had to go abroad so basically they cover anything in-house and through their own links but if you go abroad but I had to because I was like out of options and that whole process cost me 20k and that's like some of the guys salaries who are on pro teams you know that's like how are you meant to to fork that out and then try and sell yourself to everyone saying like I'm going to be back when you don't even believe it yourself yeah so for someone like me that's got a good profile and got my own team it was almost not it's not easy it was the hardest year of my life but I was able to be like navigate stuff myself and make my own decisions yeah and everyone backed me up because I guess I'm valuable enough outside of racing so my sponsors stood by me and I like not like I didn't lie but there are times I was like, yeah, I'll be back. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be back. Yeah, like, yeah. fuck that. But yeah. but then I'm like, geez, I imagine if you're 17, you've just signed a pro contract, you have a gnarly head injury, a head hit. It requires like six months off. That's the whole season done. 
and they're just going to try and fill you in like oh well they didn't perform we don't know what they're going to do next year so out you go in a new one comes and that's it like that's his career just done yeah so I guess in a way that's why I shared my process so much to try and like I don't know just show to sponsors and people or riders that yeah it's not it's not like it takes time, but you can be back to like fully functioning and like competitive again. Yeah, yeah, hundred yeah, percent. And I think um, the other thing too, where it's like you, you, athletes should never feel bad about val- like valuing themselves mm. because it's like a good job to do. You know, like the, the sp- it's like every economy. Like the economy's job is to like get bigger, basically. Like yeah. you have more. You get more money, more people, more money. Like it's just you keep growing the economy and it's like you have to put money in and then that money comes back and then in and back and in and back. And in in an athlete's case or like in your case, you go, okay, we're worth this much money, then we're going to take this money. And when you're a competitor and when you're an athlete and when you're in the position that you're in, you reinvest that money. Mm. Like the money does inadvertently go back into the sport. You know, and it's like that's the thing that I don't think companies see as much either, you know, sometimes where yeah. it's like you actually they should be getting paid because it just it ups the level of everything. And like the analogy, I talk about it a fair bit in motocross because our guys, you know, they get paid a lot, but there's a lot of dudes in there that don't. You know, mm. it's like the top be the same in downhill, I'm sure, where there's like the top dudes are making yeah. some good cash and then everyone else is kind of nothing um nothing really there but the money matters in the sense that when you're watching a golfer go for a three foot putt if it's just a three foot foot putt no one cares yeah if it's a three foot foot putt for a million dollars everyone in the audience can relate to what it would feel like what they would feel like if they had to make do something for a million dollars. Yeah, for sure. You know, and so it it kind of adds value. Like you're literally adding value. Yeah. Like here's the value at the end of this thing. And people can relate to that. For and, sure. And, Everyone can relate to that. And you now do you change that to like this is this run is for literally $250,000 like sitting on the, you know, and not that yeah. it's always all about money, but. You no, can, but it's nice add, to be rewarded. And you add <laughs> a value, yet you yeah. add some kind of feeling that is then relatable yeah. to the audience because a lot of people can't relate to going no. as fast as you guys go on a bike, you know? I guess like, yeah, because I never sit at the top of a hill and I'm like... Thinking about the sick, money. can't wait yeah. to get yeah. my prize money. <laughs> yeah. But I think if our prize money was a little bit more than 3K for winning a World Cup, you might think about it a little bit more. But I don't know, I've never... It's always like you get down and like you forget about it and then you get a message in the team group chat being like, have you picked up your prize? And you're like, oh, shit. I've got, yeah, sick drinks, you know, tonight. That's cool. Or like shopping next weekend, like whatever. But it's literally like the fastest in the world get, I think, I don't know if it's two and a half or three and a half K from the event organizers. And then you get taxed on top of that. Yeah. Like sometimes half in some countries. So yeah. you're telling me that Am- Amory Pierron, when he wins the World Cup and he's just done the most insane run of his lifetime, now sat out the whole season with a broken neck. He did that for... Three grand. <laughs> one and a half because yeah. after tax. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a great amount of money going towards his recovery, guys. Thanks. Yeah. Just like the event itself, that's another thing like... 
we don't like to be seen moaning about prize money because like I said we don't that's not what we think about when we're there but at the end of the day if they want us to put on the show maybe we wouldn't be as terrified to crash and stuff if we knew that we were getting taken care of properly so that's not only just like the prize that's money. like the medical support of the track and though, the right? medical support which is just non-existent for us right now and that's something that definitely holds me back especially like after the past few years I'm just like you know, in the whole Brooke McDonald situation. That was bad. Yeah, that was real bad. Like, a lot of riders were shaken up after that. But what doesn't help is, like I say, like... And then Dean Lucas again at the end of the year. I know. It's like, like yeah, it doesn't help because we all start at the next race. But we're contracted to start at races, you know, and it, it does get hard. But I do feel like there's just a lot brewing at the moment. And if it requires... If something requires the riders to take a stand together, I feel like it's coming. They, they will. And yeah. we will stand together and be like, we need a change. Because, yeah, we can't keep just seeing riders drop like flies, you know? Yeah, and... One of the things before too, when you said we go to the same places over and over and over, I also think that that's a double-edged sword because not only are you not exposing to the world and you're not doing these, like going to these different places and like having these experiences, like you can't, like that in itself is like a selling point and a story and Mm -hmm. you're bringing in new fan bases and you're creating new downhill tracks all over the world. Like, so my uncle used to travel in the 90s for the UCI, like making the downhill tracks and oh, four nice. tracks. And so like that's literally what he did. He'd go to the tracks and, and to the mountains and it'd be a new venue, new place, and he'd scratch in the track mm-hmm. and then it'd be there, you know. And it's like you you talk about growing mountain biking. Like that's what the governing body, the elite, like pinnacle of the sport, not only should you be tasked with running the sport and putting on the events and, and f- from that side – but you also are like the promoter of the sport on the highest level. Like yeah. You should have the biggest impact on the growth of the sport. And when you go to a new place, like you go to Brazil or you go to Puerto Rico or you go, you leave a fucking downhill track there. Yeah. You leave infrastructure. Like you leave the start, get, like you leave it there. Let them have races. Like yeah. that's the kind of shit that grows the sport. And so you start doing that all over the world. Every second year, you come back to different venues. Like you literally just thicken out this whole series that you've got going on. Yeah. How many new kids are you bringing into the sport? How many new fans are you bringing into the sport? But also the downside of just going to the same track over and over and over, how fucking crazy fast have people got at these tracks? No, it's crazy. It uh, is not honestly, okay. When I... When I like actually think about how fast I've got to go to win, it's just not a nice thought anymore. I used to want to go that fast, whereas now I'm like, fuck, (laughs) here we go, (laughs) strap in. Like it's scary. Obviously, I'm like quite a builder over the weekend, so I like take my time to chip away, but some of them are just at it from the first run, you know? Well, you can be because you know the track. Yeah. And you've been and you've done a thousand runs. Yeah. A great example was like, Mons and Anne, we went back. I've been there for years. And they did, tra- they changed like a lot of the track last year, but I didn't see any of that because mm. I didn't go. Turned up this year and like half the tracks changed. So it was actually really good and they were good changes. But it's kind of like, even for me to feel like a bit alienated in my own world was like crazy because everyone's like just full speed like the moment we got there and I'm like still trying to figure some some stuff out and I always think that's how the juniors must be on their first day luckily they actually changed the juniors 
um, practice. So they're a day before us now. Uh, so they're not yeah. put in with yeah. us. So yeah. I think that works pretty well. But yeah, there's places, just stuff like that, you know. And is it an advantage? I don't know. This has been a like lifetime debate on if someone can ride a World Cup track all year, are they going to win? You, you rarely see it. You rarely see someone actually win on like their home track, the home or, track yeah. which I find mad. Or, or, you know, you see stuff over summer and you're like, oh, that team's gone to that track. Not sure if that's allowed, but then you don't see like none of them podium. So it's mm. just like, I don't know whether you put more pressure on yourself or whatever, but I like kind of putting the pieces of the puzzle together. But I love it when we turn up to a new track and everyone yeah. is on like, yeah. no one knows and then all of a sudden it becomes a race well like, yeah and then you got your storylines mm-hmm. you know this guy's strong here you know, yeah th- like i just think that it would do a lot for the sport on like a bunch of different levels for sure to go to these different places and yeah I th- you are seeing a bunch of dudes get hurt yeah and i think it's because you can fucking sure. send it like well, each time you like obviously use your brakes less and less and there's some sections where you know because you've done it before like you'll come in like well i know i can hit that section brakeless let me try the like next section brakeless and it's just ridiculous it becomes like a little game in your head like oh let's see how how far obviously you have to but yeah that's why ludon viel is how you say it we went to a new spot in france this year and that track was insane it was built by a rider yeah there are a few safety issues, I'm not going to lie. But the, the, track, <laughs> the track itself was amazing and like everyone loved it. And then all of a sudden they've the town gets all the hype because exactly. all, all the riders are, yeah, um, um, like talking about it. Everyone's posting clips because it looks sick. Everyone's like literally raving about it. So it would be nice to go to new places. But also the places have to pay the UCI. Yes, and that's the same everywhere, and it yeah. fucking sucks. So it's, it's like, well, so if that stupid. town doesn't have enough money, then it can't hold a, a World Cup. So it's kind of disappointing because I know a load of sick places who just obviously don't have the money. Yeah. But I don't know if we could do like a crowdfunding if we all like agreed that what, no. we want to go to one place. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> but, yeah. they just pay like it. Yeah. You know, you got the new money, you got the deals, like Discovery Channel, like let's yeah, fucking go flex know. it, like put your money where your mouth is, yeah. kind of thing. But yeah, no, I think the towns have to pay. Sorry. No, I know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's insect. Well, it's the same. So for FIM, who does the World Motocross Championship. Yeah. So they we do the motocross of nations where like they all get to all the team, yeah. every every country has a team or whatever right three hundred thousand euros to be the track yeah <laughs> like what the <laughs> fuck how like and again I have that exact same argument with that you know and that's why I've, I've thought a lot about it you know because yeah. motocross of nations like the two biggest dudes in the sport right now is Jet Lawrence and Hunter Lawrence mm. Australian. There has not been a motocross of nations in Australia since 1992. Yeah. 92, you know, and it's just like they just don't, they just want to go to the same same places, same places, same, the same places they race GPs at. Mm. And it's like you, it already kind of sucks in a way because it's like in Europe, the all the European riders are on the European bikes. It's like always the Americans and like a couple of other teams that will go there and they've got to try and get bikes and they've got to try and do whatever. Yeah. So it's just so geared towards the Euros winning the race that 
mm. now that Americans like kind of don't really want to go. Yeah, and it's I like, get that. And it's like, well, you don't have motocross nations. You just have another day of MXGP. Yeah. So, you know, it's that it's that same model that, that people have and it's just it just sucks. It's like, the same for our riders because they're just like, well, like the people from across the pond, so all the Australians and, and Kiwis, they've got to like come over for the whole summer yeah. to Europe. That's yeah. it. Like, because they're not moving. Like all of our races are in Europe. Like I said, we have two that aren't. And next year, next year there's one and it's back in Mont Saint Anne. So they're not so doing she, the US next year? No, there's no race in the US. As far as I'm aware, and that was another thing that was promised to us was like, oh yeah, like we're gonna have like a ten race series, and everyone was hyped, obviously, and then they reduced it by one. So I was just like, jeez. They say it would take a couple of years and stuff, but yeah, yeah. You think the U.S. market would be really good for it, like just considering yeah. that there hasn't. I mean, when I was in mountain biking, there was the like the Norba series was huge. Um, you know, like Sea Otter was massive every year. Obviously, that's like still Yeah, still I still haven't been there actually. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I, I never have either to no. be fair. So. Um, <laughs> but there was like a big scene in the in the US and I'm sure the US has to make up a massive portion of bike sales. Yeah, you could do like four races over here easy. Like I'm pretty sure like we used to have one in Wyndham like, and then that just disappeared. Yeah. Like yeah. just haven't heard of it since. I went to uh, Big Bear and raced the US Open there with Fox like a few years ago and they've just gone to a new location. I actually can't remember where it is because I haven't been there yet. But, you know, why do we have to go back to Snowshoe every year? Yeah. And Snowshoe is lethal. Really? Actually, yeah, that track is lethal, especially when fast. it rains. Well, it's just like so rocky and like mm. the rock is like, I don't know, covered in slime. Like yeah. it's so different to everywhere else. And as soon as it rains... Everyone's just there like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> just like an ice rink. Yeah. So it would be good. I think if we had more variety as well, it would, the season would just be way more exciting and, yeah. How many races would be like the move? How many World Cups? I don't know. Like, I feel like a good improvement would be 10, you know, 10 to 12. 12 would be ideal for me. I feel like anything more would just be such a huge change, drastic change for us. Mm. But because that's already nearly double than what we have. So, but yeah, I feel like 10, everyone would be stoked. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, it's cool. And that's still nothing compared to what the, Dude, the these guys, guys are do. 31. Yeah. Which is too much. They've actually got the opposite problem. Like yeah. They're just trying to pack. I don't know in. how they do it. Well, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think, Yeah. I'd I'd love to know how some of the guys are actually doing it. Do they even have a life like outside of No. 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 Yeah. So like one dimensional. Yeah. You know, you got January six is Anaheim one, so the first supercross race. That finishes in May. And then you go straight into outdoors, which finishes at the end of August. Mm. And then you've got September and October are the new playoff races. End of October's Motocross Nations. And then you've got it's just so November, December of off season, but you're testing yeah. for January. See, I don't really follow like the motor guys and I feel like that's why it's so hectic. And we actually, Fox took us to Glen Helen the other day to watch oh, the, the guys on the, the Supercross yep, track. Yep, yep. So we met AC and like, you know, I was just like, I, and they were saying, we were talking about it on the way over, like, 
so what are they doing today? And and Austin, the dude that works with me at Fox, is like, Austin. yeah. Oh, he said to say hi, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I love Austin. <laughs> yeah, he was like, no, today's not fun for them. And we're like, yeah, but surely there's a bit of fun. Nope. No. Oh. <laughs> so, so why are we turning up? We're just going like, to put them off work. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah, we turned up and they were just doing so many laps, like all the time. It was just like, geez. Like, I know that when we when I go riding, like, I don't know. It's always fun, you know. <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't. We do training and testing, obviously, but that's usually when we go on, on like team trips. And I know a lot more people are maybe a bit more professional than I am. But when it comes to riding my bike, I love to keep it fun and like I like going fast. So I know I'm going to try and push myself every time. That's not the issue. The issue for me isn't going fast. Like if anything, it's like I don't know maybe like something stupid like breaking points and like that's yeah. what I would need to like work on yeah yeah so yeah I just couldn't I was like I I wouldn't be able to do this for a job that's just too much for me like I'm and then we were like as mountain bikers on the way back home we're just like, pretty, like <laughs> we we're, pretty good. <laughs> yeah sick I stick to my my little salary and my <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. my uh, yeah eight races a year yeah, well, those guys, I mean, they go onto the track. The, the difference is is that for you guys, it's not really an endurance sport. No. And I feel like you can get fit. Obviously, you guys train outside of the the runs. Yeah. But it's like you can get fit enough to do your job by doing your job, in a sense. Yeah, definitely. And, I, and then I just don't think the result these days is as based on fitness as what it used to be maybe. Like, I just yeah. feel like everyone's crazy fit and everyone can almost hold their breath for four minutes. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's it, like you know. when you compare Loic Bruni and, and Jackson, Goldstone, it's like the build is like, that's the difference as well. Like the, the difference in builds in, in mountain biking, there's no like perfect yeah. in inverted commas, like body or shape or form or bike or like everyone's within milliseconds of each other and like the the difference in styles obviously I mentioned them a lot but Loic and Jackson are like two of the best racers at the moment and they're like opposite sides it's crazy Loic is like super strong straight line plow through and Jackson is like super light yeah. playing with the track and like yeah opening wide lines and like but just as fast and they come down there in the same second like on completely different components yeah you know we've not got the same engine in our bikes like it's not you know it's it's down to i sometimes blows my mind if i think about it too much it stresses me out i'm like <laughs> how can all of us be so close when there's hundreds of different combinations of bikes and kit and bodies and <laughs> I just lines think, yeah like everything eh? it's crazy it is it is cool like and i think that's one of the fun things about watching downhill is that you either, it's either super close, which is crazy exciting, or it's a mega blowout, yeah. which never happens. Doesn't happen and that's anymore. crazy yeah. exciting, you know. But yeah, you're so right. Like, there's literally an infinite number of ways you can skin a cat. Crazy. Everyone's welcome. And, just, you and know? it always gets skinned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, someone cool. always finds, or, or like, they're so close to the limit and everyone it's like crazy. They, it's yeah. like there is a limit and everyone's really close to it or like someone will look so poised and like in control and look like they're not going over their limit at all so who comes to mind is like loris vergier mm. and then you compare that with someone like amory pierron or benoit coulange 
and they're just off the back of the rig like and they're the fun people to watch like I know it's like sounds bad but you they're the people you want to watch on telly because it looks like they're, they're about, about to, to the have a huge yeah because they're <laughs> yeah. just like it, when i'm watching i can't watch it. i'm just like oh my god he's gonna die and then like they get to the bottom they're like yeah pretty tame run <laughs> what <laughs> excuse <laughs> me <laughs> yeah. wasn't tame for me <laughs> yeah. how gonna be tame for you but yeah it's crazy the differences and it's it's really cool that's why i love our sport so much yeah i mean and and the like I've said it before, but just the level now is so gnarly. Like I remember watching, uh, I remember watching the Flying Scotsman, the one that the sleeper, the, yeah, the sleeper yeah. did on on Reese, and just thinking like when you, because that was kind of him put in context, you know, and he he he's so great at like vocalizing things, and he's like very yeah. articulate, and when you when you watch some of those runs and you see some of that footage, and he was one of the fast you know, he was one of the fastest guys in the world mm-hmm. that season. And it's just like the risk that they're taking yeah. and the like the edge that they're riding. And then if you've ever rode downhill and you kind of have any kind of gauge of what is going on, you're just like, how? Yeah. Like, how are it's you guys doing this? really, really fine line. And like, that's something I struggled with this year finding again is it's just like, it's either too much or too little, you know, and that line is very close to being too much a lot of the time. (laughs) And like I did this year, I crashed so many times in my race runs just because it was kind of taking that whole year off kind of made it hard for me to remember what it was like to be on the edge in a way. Like I'd just been in my comfort zone for so long because I needed to, to heal, that when I was pushing a little bit, I just like exploded in a way. (laughs) <laughs> that it, it would be so hard to come back from that and have a year off and f- be forced to go so fast like yeah it was straight in it was pretty hectic oh i don't man. think i realized until i was like back in and i was like shit especially lenser hyde in switzerland the first race back of the season it's like the fastest track we have all year so in a way i was like cool at least i can get, get that it out, out of the way, way. but oh and then like you know, Amory broke his neck and like, I'm still struggling massively mentally, like to get past, like this was just another hurdle. I wasn't like fully ready yet. And it was just hectic. And it was the first race with a new format and like, just felt like a zoo there. Honestly, it was just like (laughs) so much stuff happening at once. It's like, this is hectic. And then, yeah, you have to go as fast as possible. Again, I was like, kind of like my season was good because in a way I could like slowly chip away again. Like I felt, I didn't feel like I had to like go in and go as fast as possible and and win because that's yeah. not what I was there for. Yeah. So how you had a, that bad concussion? How did you crash? Like what? How bad was the crash? It wasn't that bad of a crash to be honest. It's actually Matt Jones has got a video of it from behind, and it doesn't look that bad. But like I went to this thing called Vanta Jam. It was sorry, I'm name dropping a load of people and a lot no, of the listeners fine, won't know. But <laughs> Laurie Greenland, who's another Redbourne Fox athlete yeah. from the UK, he he had a, a jam on at like this jump line. And the jumps were like pretty hard. Like some of they're not like super flowy. Some of them like were short, some of them were long, like some of them were hips. And I like went there because I love doing stuff outside of racing. And most of the people were just sessioning the bottom part because the jumps were like straight and pretty like consistent. 
but I wanted to go from the top to bottom. I always love to challenge myself. And I was like, oh, I'll just start from the top. Like the jumps look hard, but I feel like as when I start ticking them off and get into the flow, it'll be fine. And I just followed someone in and ticked off the first few features, which I was most worried about, I think. So I kind of like... Yeah, then you chilled a bit after Yeah, that, I kind of like I? switched off a little bit because there was like in between there's like this tree hip jump and I like jumped the tree. And in between that and like where everyone was starting from and sessioning from, there was like another transfer and some whoops. And I like, first of all, we should not have whoops in mountain biking. But anyway, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's for another story, yeah. another time. But yeah, I just kind of, I think I was like sick and I just kind of switched off for a moment. And then last second, the guy in front of me cased the transfer and I was like, shit, but I was too late for me to do anything. And I just like... 50 50 the landing of this um, transfer and because you're obviously a bit weird because it's a transfer I just I got bucked but I rode my front wheel for pretty uh, long um I think like the instinct is just to try and hang on for as long as possible and then yeah were you clipped in on this bike or no yeah I was clipped in on this uh, bike okay. yeah but I was like folded over the front pretty much and then yeah and then like I can't really remember but the from the moment I like started crashing to where I finished crashing was like huge. Yeah. But um yeah, I just like kind of just hit the side of my head and had concussion symptoms and like kind of felt alright, but kind of not. And then like I just got dramatically worse like over the next couple of weeks, and then it was yeah. like hell from then for a few months. Yeah. Uh, so I've heard some bad stories about concussions. Um, I've had a couple concussions myself. Um, my last my last like proper one was on a mountain bike actually mm. and i i ended up i think i i think i like had a bit of a pedal strike and then it kind of like oh, side of yeah. me yeah. and i just hit a tree i was just like on an enduro bike yeah and um and no full face like just a kind of like a enduro little half, shell, of, yeah, thing. half yeah. shell thing and then yeah that one was i don't think i went out like properly out but it was like a bit of a blackout and then come back kind of moment mm. and then yeah I, I got worse all that day I ended up like asking the same question over and over like I kind of went through that I kind of got like angry for no reason yeah like, my girlfriend got like angry at her and shit um and then but yeah I was like sweet so that that was like probably like my worst uh concussion but there are some that can be so fucking bad yeah. and they can just last for ages, which that sounds like that, that's what happened yeah. to you. It's well, like was, worst case almost. It's kind of all right as well because like I'm better now. Obviously, it's left its marks a little bit, but like a year can, in comparison to stuff that I've heard and seen and obviously I'm more involved with now because yeah, yeah. at the time I joined a lot of groups and like obviously connected with a lot of people because you feel so alone in that time. So, yeah, a year, like, it's probably a year and a half, seems like nothing now. Like, at the time, it feels like the end of the world, obviously, but I'm super grateful that I did manage to get better because a lot of people don't or it takes years and years and I managed to find the right support and, you know, I've talked about it a lot, so it helped a lot of people. Yeah. But, yeah, it's, uh, oh, fuck, I just never knew that was even a possibility, to be honest, in the sport, you know? Like, like I said, I've been injured since 2019, like broken bones every year, like dislocated it's my like, ankle. Yeah, six weeks, yeah, let's go. Ripped my AC joint, like so many things that just like were easy comebacks. Like, and you have like a goal, you have a time set and you have a goal. And with the concussion, there was just like, 
I couldn't even get out of bed, so let alone like think and, about. And so what was the, so you have the concussion and then what were your initial symptoms after it? My initial symptoms were um, like dizziness and anxiety. And the only reason I knew what anxiety felt like, because I'm not, an, I'm, I am an anxious person now, but I never was before. It's because I had my first few panic attacks right before my concussion. But I think that was like... Unrelated. I think I was like burnt out and yeah. like, like yeah, training too hard. But yeah, so I think that is a normal symptom, by the way, for for um, concussion. Uh, yeah, and that was about it, to be honest. Like, felt like I was on a boat. I was kind of unsteady. But I couldn't figure out what was wrong because I was so anxious. That's what felt weird. That mm. that symptom was so weird and just so like scary because I was just like, why do I feel like this? Like I didn't, I couldn't understand why. And everyone was like, have you got a headache? Have you got? It's like no, no. Like I remembered everything. Like my date, my like my date of birth, uh, where we were, what we were doing, all of that. I remembered my meal from the night before. Uh, the light wasn't too bad on my eyes. Like I slept really well that night. Like you know, just but the anxiety was just crazy so the anxiety started after the crash basically yeah pretty much and how did how did that come up for you in terms of like what how would you describe anxiety dude it's so hard it's like it's like you can't really breathe properly for Mm. one and like um my head was just so it's like I couldn't see clear or think clear. And in fact, I didn't really have thoughts, but at the same time they were racing. But Yeah, at you, the same you time, didn't have thoughts, but you were lost in thought the yeah, whole time. Yeah, it was so, of. I just thought I was really stuck like behind my eyes almost. That was the only thing I could feel on my body and it, it just felt unbearable. And then kind of feels like your head's just like in a jacuzzi, like 24-7. And trying to explain to people how I felt, and I've said this a few times on, on like different podcasts and interviews and stuff, but it's the best way of describing it. It makes me f- feel short of breath now, but like I felt like I was drowning like from the inside. Mm. And you know when like you just, you can tread water and you can just get your you mouth. You just get like, a yeah. bit of a breath and then like, you got to hold yeah, it again. Just yeah, just enough. That's what it felt like all the time, 24-7 for months. Yeah. And like, yeah, you can hear my breath now. I'm like short of breath because speaking about it is like kind of weird because I can't imagine myself being in that situation again. Yeah. Like it was unbearable. But yeah, all the time it just felt like I could get like the tiniest bit of air, but it was uncomfortable. Yeah. Like water's still there and you could yeah. get, like if you try and like breathe really slowly and not much air all the time, it's not very comfortable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what it felt like. And, and so... How do you feel about like anxiety now? Did like the anxiety go away or do you think that you spent like so much time with mm. with it that you're like very sensitive to the feeling? I'm I'm good now. Like, yeah, I'm good now. I did a lot of um a lot of like not remedies, what's it called? Like therapies yeah. and stuff, I guess. Yeah. With psychiatrists, psychologists, and I actually like there was this lady that like lived down the road from me, like three minutes walk well maybe a bit more but so when I was able to step outside my mum would walk me to this lady's house and she's like a woman's psychology person but she's kind of like a little bit crazy and like, yeah, <laughs> like, which is kind of good. That's yeah. what you and like very spiritual and yeah. I just 
I've never been super spiritual at all, but yeah, she was crazy. But she uh, did like guided meditation. Okay. She like told me about all her crystals. And, but like at the time, like, and then I'd spend an hour at her house and then she would walk me back to my house. And that would be the highlight so of, good. yeah, of my week. Like I could not wait to see this lady. And the meditation was what felt insane. So that helped a lot. That was literally going to be one of my questions. For yeah. Me, one of my next questions. It helped a lot. Like, it's the only thing that got me through my concussion and the anxiety was meditation like I don't do it as religiously anymore I wish I did I have like a breathwork coach that I work with sometimes and he's amazing but it's at a point in time it's the only thing I could do like even before I could walk to this lady's house I was listening to um what's the app uh headspace yeah yeah, yeah. they like take you through some because I, I didn't know what to do I like I just thought you could breathe and that was it but even that was too difficult so I just put that on for like three minutes three times a day and that was all I could manage yeah right that, that's crazy Leah so I was gonna ask you about yeah. meditation because I would say like I definitely I definitely get a lot of anxiety mm. but I get it in it's hard to so you might be able to get the explanation but i get physical anxiety yeah without any mental stress at all so i'm like in a fucking good mood yeah everything's sweet like i'm not stressed i'm not and my body has like full-blown anxiety mm. and i never really I don't know. I never really thought about. it. I just thought that energy was like I got to do something. I'm just like I got to go. I got to fucking you know yeah. like next thing. Let's just go, and uh, and it like like smoking weed kind of like I, I smoke weed and then that gives you anxiety and then you're like people say like oh no that's just anxiety and you're like huh I actually feel this all the time. Like, <laughs> I, I feel yeah. this, but it's oh, like... Oh, no, I'm not smoking. I feel it more. <laughs> <but> <laughs> it's like, it's different. Like, it kind of gave it a name for me in a sense. Yeah. And so I, that was before meditation. And then it wasn't until I started meditating. Then I would like for... I'd have to check my phone, but I literally have like thousands of sessions of, yeah. of sitting and, and practicing. And man, anxiety just became like a... Uh, trigger for me it's like a mindfulness mm. trigger and then like man i ended up the anxiety and meditation ended up just going hand in hand over years now to where it's just not like i don't have the like the anxiety or problems around it that i would have thought yeah. that i'd have you know like i used to have fucking panic attacks i i used to think they were night terrors yeah so it was to do with dreams and stuff, but it's just anxiety, like a panic attack like yeah. a legit panic attack and yeah meditation was the biggest game changer yeah for it and yeah just when you were talking like that the that sensation of not being able to take like a full easy breath like i, mm -hmm. I had times like meditating like a, you'd be doing like a long ass meditation and then you're so in tune with your breathing and then it's coming and going and you start feeling like do you or do I know how to breathe? Like, <laughs> do I actually know? Like, have I ever paid enough attention to, like, how to yeah. breathe? It's just like oh, this thing you do yeah. all, like, just in, in, out, in, out, all yeah. day, every day. But it's like there's so much attached to yeah. breathing and there's, like, so much, like, the, and the anxiety that you feel is so linked to it. Like, so I, I think until you spend some time 
doing that like mental work that meditation does like you, there's a lot you don't actually know about yourself until sure. you really do it yeah well that was one of the first things so i actually ended up going to a swiss concussion center like i was like i can't like nothing's helping and one of the first things that they told me to do was like breathe and they would like kind of hold my chest a bit and they were like hmm they're like do you always breathe like that I yeah like, like what they were like just how like how you're breathing now is like well yeah I like, didn't really know there's another way to breathe and they're like oh you just breathe so short and fast and, and from through your chest. your chest yeah and I was like oh okay like yeah I kind of feel like that and then they showed me some techniques there and like they told me to do like a few steps and you, you breathe through your nose into your belly like five steps and then like seven steps on the way back you breathe out through your nose and like kind of slower and then I couldn't do it at first I was just like I actually can't do this and they were like well you need to practice because you're not breathing right I was like how can you not breathe right yeah yeah but it made so much sense and like the more I started doing it and then yeah I saw this amazing osteopath as well that told me a lot about my vagus nerve and all that shit I didn't know about I just guess what's that I, I mean vagus I've heard nerve, about that. yeah it's like the one that runs like uh, sorry my terminology for this is just terrible but oh, it's really? basically a nerve that runs like from your head I think down and like it controls most things but it's like it gets blocked a lot and especially like riders that are always like this mm. like we have so much and I've had like slip discs in my neck and a lot of like pain and and blockage in there I've had steroid injections in my neck like so I was just really unhappy and all he did was like loosen off that and like the trigger points in my head and it was so fucking weird like I had I fell asleep within like 10 seconds and it was an hour session long with this guy and I had the craziest dreams like it was like an acid trip like it was really so fucked like and I'd like he'd stop and then I'd like kind of wake up and he'd be like whoa you had a load of dreams there because he could see it on my like, I was twitching yeah. I was like making weird faces and and like this guy like helped a lot during my time at the in Switzerland I saw him like once a week that was the favorite part of my entire stay was like seeing him and that's all he did like <laughs> every time would just like hold the trigger points on my head I'd fall asleep have the wackiest dreams and then I'd film in after it's crazy like <laughs> <That's> bizarre, <laughs> yeah right? But it was like, kind of felt like meditating just in a different way. And he said to me, he was like, he was like, do you always fall asleep super fast? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, not many people have that skill. So as like anxious as I was, my like biggest skill has always been sleep because apparently that's like, that heals everything. Mm. I don't know where I was going with that story with the whole acid trip stuff, but uh, it's fine. meditation and yeah, stuff. But yeah. yeah, it's like the small things you don't really realize. Like, yeah. All that stuff. I was never into it when I was younger. I just thought I was a beast. I thought going to the gym would like <laughs> yeah. make me strong Cure enough. Everything. Yeah. Never really thought about breathing or trigger points. So I think, I don't know if I sound old now and I'm like, geez, but. <sighs> it's, man, it's real. <laughs> like it's the, it's the simple stuff that, yeah. that makes a huge difference. I mean, it was the same for me. I'm, I'm 35, so I'm a bit older, but yeah, yeah I, I feel like ever since I was 28, 29, 30. Like yeah, there I just, we go. I'm in my shift. <laughs> man, we, me and my wife were just talking about this yesterday to Nikki, the dude that we took him riding. Yeah. And, um, and, we were saying like you f you can feel your brain change. Like yeah. <laughs> I, when I was 20, 
when I was 28, 29, like that kind of time, heaps of my, I had a lot of real gnarly shit happen in my life, like around that time as well. Like I, I lived here for years and I had a business here and everything. And then my visa basically got yanked. I lost mm. my business. I lost all my money. I was like 29, went home yeah. to live at my parents, broke as fuck. Like, so I was kind of, there was a big change in my life anyway, mm. but like it was the first, or I guess you go from living almost unconsciously yeah. For a really long period of your life. And I think that the, it's almost like the last part of your brain to change is like introspection, you know, and, so and self-awareness. Yeah. And I what, actually one of my friends at Red Bull, Jeremy Malott, he, um, he we talk about all the time, man, like just self-awareness, self-awareness. Are you self-aware? Like can, can, you, can you accurately read how the world perceives you? Yeah. Because you know, it's like there's so many – in so many ways, like you shouldn't give a fuck about what the outside world thinks, but yeah. then in so many ways you should. And <laughs> it's like that's where that self awareness really comes into play. And I just I feel like for most people, you know, like especially your twenties, you know, you're twenty four, twenty five, twenty six, twenty seven. You that's the first time you're like making your own money. You're making mm -hmm. all your own decisions. It's like you get swept up in a ball of you, and then. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know that can go until you're 40 and something gnarly happens in your life or that can yeah. go until you're 30 or whatever but yeah there's definitely a point where it's like your brain kind of turns inward and then you go well, like, you have to yeah it's you like go, the, like i need you to said, figure this out it's the last option left i think and i don't know if i well we always say it was definitely that crash and that concussion that changed everything for me because I don't know, I was like, like I said, a bit before I was having panic attacks, I'd never, and like you, like I would be chilling in a cafe, like nothing to worry about. And all of a sudden I could feel my heart in my chest. All the noises would go fuzzy and weird. Like I could feel the blood in my hands and I was just like, oh no, like it's happening. And I didn't know how to stop it. And then I guess I reached a point where my I just couldn't take it anymore. And the crash was like, the straw that broke the camel's yep. back and that was yep. it. And then I, ha I had to rest. I had to take a year off of racing. I had to meditate. I had to look within. I had to find happiness outside of racing, making money, like being around, I like, know being around my family was what kept me sane. But yeah, I had to stop searching for outside happiness and really bring it within. Yeah. And like to a lot of people that sounds like, cliche or cringy or whatever you want to call it but i used to find it a bit like oh come on like whatever <laughs> yeah but now i'm just like i'm such a different person than i was like this time well last year i was struggling but this time two years ago like yeah yeah you couldn't i couldn't have written this or, or yeah it's just crazy and you'll be a better person for it for like sure. I, I bet in your day-to-day -day life like your relationships are better oh, yeah. like your relationship to the sports better your relationship yeah. with yourself is better like yeah it, it's it sucks to go through such fucked up times in your life but it's almost like the sooner some really gnarly shit happens to you the better oh for sure <laughs> because that's why everyone told me they're like well imagine going through this when you're 50 60 when you're married and got a load of kids or like you know you think your life's dialed because that's what happened and i was like fuck, I feel like this is what a midlife crisis must feel like or people that get um, burnt out from work or like, you know, office jobs and shit like that. I was like, but you never see it like that. Like, I don't know. And you, 
never know what, what someone's going through. I developed so much like sympathy and empathy mm. after that because I never really knew what mental illness was. And now I'm like, shit, if that's what they're going through every day. And I had like a little snippet of that. I'm like, no, thank you. So like you just, I don't know. I've said it loads before, but I would love to like win again, win a race again as this new athlete. Cause I mm. just feel like there's so much more now to me than there was before. And before I felt like I was just going as fast as possible, not a care in the world, winning races, fucking loving it. Whereas now it's a lot more, there's a lot more thought behind it. There's like, I don't know, just a different person. It's almost like a challenge to mm. take this new calmer version of myself to the top again, cause it won't be the same. And I feel like it's going to be a hell of a lot harder because I'm not naive. I don't like, I'm scared now. I like think about shit differently. And yeah, it would just be awesome to be able to kind of take that person back up to the top again yeah. in a different way. Like yeah. not pushing myself to the absolute limit, not neglecting my body like I did a few years ago that like drove me to burnout, you know, just in a nice way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's possible. Everyone always, is always like, yeah, you've got to like throw up after your gym sessions and train every day to get back to the top. But I'm not so sure anymore. You know, I think for like if you're mentally strong and you're in a good place and obviously you train alongside that, I feel like there's not much that can stop you after that. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's cool to hear you say it in that way too, you know, where it's like, uh, I mean, Adam Cincerello, like I don't know how much you know about his career, but it's like he was the prodigy mm, of maybe. all prodigies yeah you know and then he has injury after injury after injury after injury and he watches the dude that he beat in his entire career just win two supercross titles in a row That's you know gotta hurt, isn't it but it's like <laughs> out of that he now when you talk to him like he's just such he's like a beautiful dude I couldn't like, believe it when we met him the other day. I was just like, Austin laughed at me because I was like, I don't know what these dudes look like without their helmets off. And I just didn't expect Adam to be so like, he was super chill. Like he yeah. took the time out to speak to us all on his training day. Like, and he was so down to earth. And I was like, this isn't what I know from like an outsider of the motor world. I thought they were not like uptight in any way, but just super serious in their own head, like yeah. head down. And I just didn't expect him to take time for us. Not that, you know, I just thought he's going to be busy. But, yeah, he chatted with us for ages. He was super chill. Like, just like, oh, he's just some normal dude, I guess. Like, Oh, and but I would say he's even nicer than the normal yeah. dude. Like, he's he's such a great, like, kind, nice, loving person. And it's like it got formed through the hardships yeah. that he faced that you would – that's cool. He could have gone the opposite way. For sure. Especially like, like and you so said. And so could you. Yeah. Well, especially like if he saw who he beat his whole life, then go and get the titles that he potentially wants and obviously thinks he deserves and everyone else does. Like you could turn sour, like pretty bitter pretty oh, fast. Man. And the media was so ruthless. Oh, I can know? imagine. And like the fan, probably not the media actually. The media probably gave him an easy time, but they were like, they were kind. They could have been yeah. worse on him, I reckon. But like from a fan's perspective, like it's all you'd hear was like, how the fuck does he still have a ride? It's like, dude, he's like, he's. No, oh, the old keyboard warriors yeah. who love them. <laughs> but, you know, he has, he got on the podium uh, at the last race 
last year, which was just like unreal. You know, yeah. at the start of the race, he could he was he was having nerve problems. So basically, he had an injury that just created a nerve problem, and he'd go halfway through the race, and his hand would he just had no feeling. So that's like you can't train through that. No, you can't fix it with like he was having surgery after surgery after surgery, like trying to fix it. So something just fully out of his control. Yeah, and then he just got it to the point where he literally got on the podium again Sick. in Supercross, and it's kind of that moment you wanted, you know, like that moment that you want to have. Like he did that. Yeah, you know, like it's that. There's a lot of cool similarities in the story, you know, and like and, For he, sure. and he went so introspective as well. But like out of it just comes this fucking epic human, you know, yeah. even better than he was before. And he was already a legend. Yeah. So it's like I think it's I don't know, maybe it's just like one of the beautiful things about sport in a sense, too, is that like it does challenge you in such extraordinary well, you, I ways. I think you learn some of the hardest lessons for sure. Grateful for them, too. But I bet that, see, to him, that obviously that podium must have felt like a win to him. Mm. It's like the same when I was coming back. I was like, you know, a seventh place felt as good as a win when I was winning. And then the podium felt like even better than that. And then, you know, just chipping away slowly. I guess it puts a lot into perspective when when you've been injured and yeah, like over and over and over again. And it, you do come out a, a good human on the other side, I guess. I think the thing that makes it harder for an athlete and someone that's in a position like you're in too mm-hmm. is that – and I think this is why you see a lot of celebrities, you know, whether it's like they OD or they kill themselves mm. or whatever, is because you end up being in a position where you feel like you shouldn't be unhappy with your life. For sure. But you're like, I am a – like famous downhill racer i got these sponsors we got our own team i got fans i got a great community i got great relationships like and i'm so unhappy (laughs) yeah you feel guilty and that's a that's something that i think when you were saying about like the average person like i think everyone goes through their own version of like their mental health struggles or whatever but when you've got no job and you've got you live in a shitty place and you got no car yeah it's like it's, it's more like, ro- warranted to yeah, feel you, like yeah, shit yeah you're like yeah. i get it yeah <laughs> but the reality uh, dude, the reality yeah. is is that like that kind of those feelings and anxiety and all that they're not they're not exclusive to your life being shit yeah but it just goes to show that doesn't it that like obviously anxiety is felt by a lot of people and all different I think it's just times a and places in the world. Yeah, I think it's just a natural thing that your body does to tell for you you sure. have a problem. I feel like yeah, for sure. Obviously, people experience it at different levels, but I remember when like before I had my panic attacks, I was super depressed and I didn't realize. But looking back now, I'm like I was obviously depressed. I couldn't get out of bed. I was training, but like it was just everything felt like shit. But yeah. I was supposedly healthy, like. I'd come back from my ankle injury. I finished like fourth overall, got like multiple podiums that year. Like everything should have been sweet. I was like, sweet, next year I'm going to kill it. But for some reason, I just did not feel stoked at all. But then I don't know if everyone feels like this, but then like the guilt of not being stoked when everything I had everything on the plate was like unbearable. But then this is another thing. People are like, oh, poor you, for you feeling guilty, like, whilst you're, you know, under a roof and got food on your plate and shit. But it it makes it 
it does it's just a weird feeling yeah well yeah. It, it adds you feel a, like you shouldn't be feeling that way like you yeah. have no right to feel that way that's yeah. how your brain is it's like you have no right when you know there's shit going on in the world you're so safe and sound and you know you've got a roof over your head so yeah that that was that's another again it, it sounds ridiculous saying it because i'm like oh that's another problem but that it's was just, just another layer that's yeah. like uh, because yeah it's complex like it's yeah. just not it's not easy even in a i mean there's a reason there's not a lot of tiny seagraves in the world because it's like really fucking hard to do what you do you know like so yeah. there's a it it every life comes with its own unique set of challenges but yeah i think that's something that when people like yourself go through those periods in your life it makes it very hard like i know you know chester bennington from lincoln park i know lincoln park yeah so it's my race playlist oh what yeah. song uh mainly just minutes to midnight yeah. album album because that's what i grew up like uh, listening to and my dad would blast it in the car so that whole album is just yeah given up although i recently learned the real words to given up i thought it was give it all yeah so i would sing that <laughs> i give it my all like, and then then <laughs> my uh, mechanic was like you do realize he's saying given up as in like it was a song he wrote before he died i was like great now that song has a whole new meaning and I cannot yeah. listen to that song without crying. Thank you. Oh, that's <laughs> But so yeah, good. anyway. So uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's my all-time favourite band. Ah, oh, sick. So when I was... I feel like Hybrid Theory, which that's their first album. Yeah. Have you gone... Like, have you listened to the full discography of them or you kind of... A miss? little bit, but I am very, like, Minutes to Midnight based. Ooh, okay. Minutes to Midnight was an amazing album. Yeah. So Hybrid Theory, I remember when that came out, we were at fucking random it was like one of the only times ever that my dad took us to a gun range <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah yeah we, we had like guns as kids like farm guns kind of thing yeah. and we'd like shoot different shit on the farm or whatever but we never like went to a gun range it was one time in my life i remember going and it was like 10 o'clock at night one of my dad's friends worked there and so i was probably i don't know i was pretty young but anyway uh lincoln park come on one step closer to the edge yeah. and like the halfway through the song just start screaming shut up and i'm just like whoa <laughs> like, i'd never really cared about music in my life until i heard that song and it was like a fucking explosion went yeah. off in my brain and ever since i was just like fully obsessed with music <laughs> and they were the they were my favorite band and See. faint is do you know that song by yeah. them that was like that was my downhill in, oh, the, nice. in the start box like listening to that to that song that's a good like, one and like doing runs tracy hannah and mick hannah used to live like four doors down from oh, yeah. me in cairns oh that's fine i've stayed with, with tracy yeah. oh I've been there before. yeah so i used to do runs with them like constantly so oh, i'd cool. always be and yeah lincoln park would be blasting. yeah but anyway he said <laughs> um that was one of the things that he like kind of famously said and he kind of really put it in that context of like it's really fucked up to be a person that sh has everything and should be the happiest person in the world and they're yeah. fucking depressed and they hate their life and they want to kill themselves. He's yeah. like, tell me how that fucking works. Yeah. And it's just a real, you know, you can look at all those celebrities that, you know, you've got every, like Robin Williams. Like Did you watch his documentary? No. Nah. Oh. Is it good? Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. Does he, does it, would it give you any indication that he would have been like a suicidal person, do you think, or? 
Yeah. Did it come out after he died or like what's the context of the doco? Oh, Robin Williams. I thought you said Robbie Williams. Oh. <laughs> I was like, wait, Robbie Williams isn't Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Yeah, I, was oh, like, I thought you meant Robin, Robin no, Williams. No, no. Yeah, okay. okay. But Robbie Williams also did a documentary. Yeah, right. Explaining how mental that whole side of like the music industry is. And what was his take on it? I think they just use and abuse them, don't they, as artists, especially like mm. when they're that famous. But yeah, I think they go through it. And again, like how can someone so rich and famous be depressed and, you know, use drugs to want to live life? Yeah. But yeah, it was kind of sad, but I think he's in a pretty good or a better place now. But I think he yeah. was like a pretty wild kid back in the yeah. day too, right? Like came from a gnarly kind of place. Yeah. The UK's just got some gnarly shit going on. Has it? We think that about the US and oh, stuff. Oh, that does have some yeah. gnarly shit going on. But I think more like the UK is a gnarly place because of the weather. Oh, yeah. Like it's a... <laughs> it's pretty dark all the time. It's pretty full on. Like it's yeah. a brutal, like it's a pretty brutal place to live. And like, so there's the, when I say it's like got a lot of stuff going on, it's like the same as Russia. Where it's like you just have these people that have spent nine months of the year cold as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> like trying That's to why stay. Try and escape. No, no sun. No like, vitamin D whatsoever. And it's like the healthiest thing for you. But yeah, we've actually had really bad weather recently. Like yeah. super bad. And like being here, like I wake up and I'm just like, this is going to be another great day. Like the sun is out. Like I can't, like we can't believe it. Every day we're like, more sun? Like. <laughs> What the hell? We're so lucky. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. I had to do like a visa run back and forward. So I ended up going and staying in Doncaster. Oh, yeah. In winter. <laughs> and it was the most depressed oh, I've ever felt in yeah. my entire fucking life. Eh? And I was like, man, this is why, like, the UK breeds a special type of person. It can, it can be so pretty, though. I know, but like, yeah. when? <laughs> <laughs> Not recently, but. I mean, I love going back home, I'm not going to lie. But, yeah, like when I was coming back from that tough time, I had to get out of there because it was just great and miserable and I just couldn't – I needed. I knew I needed some sun and I was lucky enough to be able to just like go to Barcelona for, for a week and yeah, get some sun. So good. Yeah, ride La Poma, that was the first time I was actually back riding and stuff. But I was like, if I want to race next season and be healthy – I'm going to have to like ditch the UK for a, like a long weekend each month just to go get some vitamin D because like yeah. there was literally none. So yeah, that was, um, it worked well. Yeah. But the problem is I want to do that all the time. Now. <laughs> yeah, so what, what's, that's what I was going to ask. Like what's the split of like how you spend your time? Where do you spend your time these days? Well, most of my time is in the UK. Like, okay. like I say, in Wales. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like kind of west side of the uk I, I love it like it's so pretty we have some sick trails uh, i just i love the way is there like the air like and when it's sunny <laughs> oh it's beautiful it's so pretty but yeah when you have like four weeks of consistent rain and like you're trying to get some motivation to train and stuff it's just like it's just well you're just like what what am i doing here <laughs> like why why did i choose this place when there's like insane like really nice countries everywhere but I'll usually like, yeah, go on a trip to Barcelona, ma mainly with all the boys. And we do like a, a La Poma trip on our hardtails. And, you know, have you heard of La Poma? It's no. like a little bike park with like the sickest dirt jumps. Like oh, it's really? really well known in, in mountain biking. 
Like every, Prob- maybe seen it. It's probably seen fucking it, like, sick. Videos yeah, and stuff. super sick. And then obviously in the Barcelona. Um, but I'm actually going to Australia. Oh, oh, in you're doing January, hard one. Yeah, I saw. I just saw that on your Instagram yeah. today. That'd be sick. Yeah. It's in Tassie. Eh? Yeah. Where are they doing it in Tassie? Uh, Maiden Bike Park. Medina. Ma- Medina. Yeah. 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 So yeah. that's that's cool. Is that the first time you've been to Oz? Uh, I've been, been to Cairns. To, okay, yeah, yeah. So that's where I, that's the town I grew up in. Yeah. yeah, that's the only place I've been. I think maybe you know what? Like all my trips just merge into one. Hundred oh, percent. Like we travel so much for racing, and I'm just like I don't even know where I've been anymore. Like when I was here, I was like oh, I've only ever been to California once before, and my brother was like. What are you talking about? Are you sure? Because, like, <laughs> I've been telling everyone this as well. And he was like, are you sure? Because, like, I'm pretty sure you came with me. And then, like, there was another trip where I couldn't come. Then there was another trip. That you, I was <laughs> like, oh, shit. Yeah, I've actually <laughs> been, like, three or four times. Like, oh, well. <laughs> to brush that one off. But, yeah. No, we're going to Australia. Pretty stoked. And then in between, because I'm actually going out earlier to go and see the track. Because oh, I've, like, yeah. got more of a, like, lead role with the women now which is super sick and yeah. we got them to wales hardline yeah. this year went really well so now we're on like the proper invite list and i'm just gonna go on my brother usually like guinea pigs everything at, at hardline and he's a savage eh? yeah he's he's pretty nice which is, he is young, younger than you or older he's four years younger than me four years yeah younger. yeah he's um it's crazy because he's like so chill and like calm and I'm, I'm not sure if like that's how i come off as well but then it's his style is also super calm and stuff, but you wouldn't think like chaos. Chaos is my brother's name. That's for those that don't know, are listening. <laughs> um, and he like lives up to it. He just sends like when he's like, because he's such a calculated rider. So I'd never understand why he wants to guinea pig something that's like never been tested before. I just don't get it. Yeah, I'm like, how for someone so calculated, why do you want to send something that's like not been done? Because he's done or, the math. Uh, he's just like, oh, it looks like it'll work. It'll be fine. So is what is he racing World Cups as well as the free ride stuff, or is he, he just free ride now? He was racing World Cups up until the, uh, last year. No, yeah, last year was his first year. Might have been this year actually. Again, everything merges into yeah, one. That's all the same but he's shit, still part yeah. of the team. But he, yeah, he's full free ride now. Um, he's done his own edit every year, which is sick. Yeah. Um, Unhinged 2, that's called now. If you want to, have you seen I it? I think it's, I watched, I'm pretty sure it's I It's pretty sick. It, yeah. Like, I was very surprised. I don't know. <laughs> like I said, because I hang out with him every day. I'm just like, I, I didn't expect that from him. I was just like, whoa, <laughs> like, that's a huge, huge progress from his first free ride edit. And like I said, I see him every day. We don't ride that much. Like, we chill a lot and like train a bit. And then, like, he just, Especially recently. Yeah, he rides a lot, but at the same time, I think because recently we've had really, really shit weather, like nothing's been rideable, and then all of a sudden the edit just came out, and I was like, shit, because I know he struggled a lot with the weather at home. See, that's another thing. Like when you're doing home projects, especially for the free riders, it's so hard in the UK just because you build something and it's just... You're just up against it the whole time. Yeah. It's actually... I I don't think I could do it. As a free rider. where I came from. Like we're just we. I mean, we had we had a lot of rain. Like we would have times where it, had pro- you know, pretty much rain for a month. Yeah. But you just you knew that that was going <laughs> to stop, gonna and stop. you knew that it was going to get sunny, yeah. and you knew that you the sun. You can't be promised like, that. No, you guys, it's just you're, yeah. Well, you're we were actually invited to do a Stark Day on a motocross oh, track in Barcelona. No, in the UK. Oh, okay. Um, Moto One or something. I can't remember the name of it now, but 
they invited us there and I was like, sick, I managed to get everyone together and our tracks flooded. You can't go. I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, standard. That's just such a standard thing. Uh, have you ridden one of them yet? No. When do you leave? Uh, the 18th. What's the date today? 13th. Only here for any, a few I more. got one. That would be cool. I'm like really bad though on a motorbike. Well, this is just a mountain bike <laughs> with a like yeah, with I know, but that doesn't have pedals. I've had a go on the um gonna try and find a word that rhymes with the name but on the Suron. Suron? yeah yeah okay but um they're expensive like every all the bikes are so expensive i think the Suron one yeah they break so easy like Cade, my boyfriend had like two days on it and then just but he's not your usual rider yeah, he's, he's slightly aggressive and he rides motor a lot so yeah. like enduro and stuff so he's really really good on one but yeah he just built some massive double in the garden <laughs> sent it to flat and now the thing doesn't work anymore and it's just been sat in in the garage for like a year i'm just like great that was good good, good, yeah. good purchase. yeah yeah well the start's a bit more robust than that all right if i can if i'm not sure that i'll be riding if i end up riding i'll let you know all but right you should try and ride it because it'd be pretty yeah. sick like it'd probably be fun cross training for yeah i think a lot of the downhill guys i mean a lot of yeah, them I've ride moto anyway but i think a lot of them are going to start doing more cross training on the VARG yeah. because purely because it's the same controls like you've got front and rear brake like the, yeah the well whole this is another thing my back brakes on the right yeah that's weird yeah <laughs> like I don't so know everything... why you guys do that <laughs> well it's just me the UK guys don't why do you start doing it like because I like grew up in France so uh, the, the back brakes on the right uh, so did mm. you just move to France when you were a kid or something for racing or no it was nothing to do with racing not to do with racing just because we were in um like Croydon South London before and wasn't the best place I guess to like Raise for kids yeah <laughs> yeah my parents went to France what did your parents do to live there like what what was the story with them being there what in France no like in, in the UK yeah in that gnarly spot um well I just guess money and background i guess so like, that's just kind of like where they yeah. were positioned yeah like um yeah they're both from there um they had some like gnarly upbringings i guess both of them like and they've like i could never credit them enough for how well they've done with us and their life now it's just crazy my biggest inspirations ever because they have literally come from the ground up like from nothing to what they have now um still struggle a lot like my dad would never like admit it I don't think because he's very good at making stuff look insane yeah. with like the tiniest budget yeah yeah um there's a real skill in yeah that. it's a skill but also sometimes not because <laughs> everyone thinks it's just like FMD it's just like got a ton of money but he dips into his pocket a lot and it's not very helpful for family life at all but it's his passion. Like there is no man more passionate than my father when it comes to trying to get his kids to do what they love. So, I mean, a lot of people can say that, but yeah, super fucking proud of, of how far they've come. And yeah, I hope to follow in their footsteps, I guess. But yeah, that's why they wanted a better upbringing for us. So. And then why France? Like what was the appeal? Well, they just went on holiday to, to Leger and then came back and I guess were like, fuck it, we're going to move there. And they didn't go to Leger. We had to like downgrade. <laughs> so it was like a, a little place called, called Saint-Jean-d'Or, which is like five minutes away from Morzine, 10 minutes. 
and they bought like an old rundown mill. It was like this place was fucked. Like, but they had a vision. They were gonna like do up the first, like the top two floors. We were gonna live in an apartment, and then they were gonna rent it out and do it like run a chalet and people for like the winter and summer and we lived there for 10 years and in that 10 years they slowly did like the middle ground where we lived and then they sold that and moved back and stuff but that's how we met riders that's how we got into yeah mountain biking and that's how we met pros and we always say it's who you know not what you know because I was a terrible bike rider and like we managed to one of my first downhill bikes got stolen and we were super fucking gutted but then we knew a lot of people from the chalet and everyone chipped in to get me my bike back like built back up and that's how we like formed relationships with sponsors and like well. I was with Intense from that point onwards um so yeah there was yeah big store like background there but you know I hung out with Kovarik and he would take me out riding and just loads of little stories like that the Affertons would come and stay and they'd come in the winter and yeah you know, we'd go skiing and then my mum did some cooking for the Aftons. We looked after them in, at Champery Worlds. Like, there's just yeah, loads right. of little like That's crazy, links yeah. like that. Yeah. So we've been in the sport for a long time, and people were always like, um, always knew who I was, I guess, and just waiting for me to race. And same with with Chaos. No, that's a crazy story. Yeah, we've so. got pictures of us like with everyone. Like Brendan would stay at ours. Yeah, the Aftons were really close. We've um, looked after them. Because obviously they stayed at our chalet and really liked my mum's cooking. So she like filled in for someone at some of the races and we would go along. And yeah, it was sick. <laughs> That's so cool. So yeah. so basically they had nothing to do with mountain bikes at all. No. And dad didn't know anything about <laughs> nah. it. And then he goes to France and buys a chalet. Yeah. And then mountain bikers basically invade the chalet. Pretty much. And then you turn into a professional mountain biker. Yeah. And so does your brother. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I guess it's so normal for me and that's yeah, all I've known. Yeah. But we had the sickest summers. Like, you know, we got to hang out with like pros and they'd take us. We got to see what it was like to live like a pro. Um, yeah, we saw how wild things got, I guess. <laughs> so we were just like, whoa. But yeah, I, yeah, it was it was pretty sick. Like I look back now and I'm just like, well, I always say we've, I've got my old next door neighbours were a year younger than me and a set of twins and we would just be like running around like havoc like around the neighborhood and we I literally they came around to visit Wales for the first time the other day and we just flashed back on our childhood and we were like fuck we had the best childhood just running through fields and like I don't know like getting dirty and being outside and like making tree houses like just doing shit as a kid I just feel like wouldn't have had that where I where I lived um before in the uk so and so how old were you when you moved there i was seven okay or eight yeah seven or eight do you remember much of being in the uk like until you were seven not really i remember like going on little rides and stuff but we weren't mountain bikers like Mm. i actually loved gymnastics like i was obsessed with gymnastics i think i was always obsessed with sport yeah um but then i took up when we moved there wasn't a gym like a gymnasium near me so there was an ice rink so I was like yeah I'll try ice skating <laughs> it's kind of the same so I just learned to skate and then like obviously my gymnastics skills were like pretty useful but kind of just like mm, don't really like this and yeah just mountain biking was what stuck we did some BMXing that was fun but again we just kind of got bored of it and my mum had to take me every Wednesday after school and it was like an hour and a half drive mm. 
she had to take that time off of work and it just got to a point where she was like are you sure you guys want to still be doing this because uh, yeah. we weren't actually that bothered about it so yeah and then we just chaos did some mogul skiing so he actually competed for like the french team he was a really good skier yeah so that was cool um yeah we just did shit i guess we were in such a unique place yeah. to do it and it's mad because like all our French mates, like, all that like they just stay in Warsaw, and all their families stay in Warsaw. It's all that they've ever known. Yeah. But yeah, when I'm back in the UK or like I talk about people about our childhood, I'm just like fucking hell. Like we got so lucky. Yeah. Forever in debt to my mum and dad. Well, it's a crazy play, man. From there, mm. from their end to just be like kind of you know broke and living in a shitty spot, and then just going fuck it, we're going to France, we're taking our yeah, kids. Yeah, yeah, huge. You, they, you obviously didn't speak French before you got there, no. and, you know. <laughs> so like, it's a, it's a crazy move, but then just how fate works. I know. To right? where you just end up being a professional mountain biker. Yeah. So did your brother? Like, it's that's that's a crazy story. Yeah, I was convinced I was going to be like a gymnast, 100% love it. We actually dug up a photo the other day, me on the podium, like with my big trophy and I I just like unlocked a memory. I just like could never get there fast enough after school, like loved it so much. But that happened again with BMXing when I started that and like any sport I've ever been into, I've just like, apparently when we got into mountain biking, I would beg my dad to take me racing all the time. Not quite the same vibe anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't make me do it again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you you had like a bit of a hyper-focused kind of personality, do you think? Probably, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. For sure. I think like I'm just got a hyperactive brain as well all the time. I think that's why a lot of people would say, oh, like, so how's your sleep then? Because like, I can't get to sleep. and. I think I'm so exhausted when it gets to like yeah. nighttime, like so exhausted from just thinking all the time yeah. that I'm just like out like a light and I sleep for nine hours straight and then wake up in the morning and I'm rested. Like, so pretty lucky when it comes to my, my nighttime routine. But yeah, I'm always like, I'm so, I question everything all the time. Yeah. yeah. Like, but not, I didn't realize until not that long ago that not everyone's like that. Like yeah. some people don't think apparently. Like, don't have a voice inside their head and stuff, which I was mind-blown by. I was like, what? This, well, you wouldn't know if you were bored, but it's, like, it's kind of entertaining sometimes. <laughs> What's crazy? So my wife's Russian. Well, okay, you speak two languages. Yeah. So when you when you were living in France, did the vo- was the voice in your head in French? Yeah. <laughs> How much of a trip is yeah. that to yeah, think about? Yeah, I know. So, yeah, my wife, I'm, one day, like, when we first started dating, I was like, do you think in English or Russian? And then she'll be like, huh, fuck, I think in English now. <laughs> and yeah. she'd never even noticed the transition yeah. between her inner monologue. And so in meditation, like that's what they call the self. Yeah. So it's like yourself, like that voice, that monologue was in another language and she just flipped without even yeah. knowing. And so you remember thinking in French? Because mm-hmm. I was obviously at school. Yeah. I think when I look back now, it would be so hard to switch up and speak in Eng- or speak to myself in English, I guess. So I was reading, writing, everything was in French. So I was talking to my friend, but I can't remember at what, what stage they switched. Me and Chaos spoke in French for ages. Just to for each years. other? Yeah, at home, because that's the language we'd speak all day. 
So when we got back home, we'd just speak in French. And I used to annoy my dad so much because he couldn't understand. He always thought we were talking behind, like, behind uh, his back and <laughs> just slagging him off or something. But <laughs> that happens in my household. Yeah. So I have, I literally know when my wife's talking shit about me. And I'm like, I, got, I know enough words where I'm like, you're talking about me right yeah. now, but I fucking don't know. And so we can like have a fight and then she'll call her best friend. Literally be in the same room. Yeah, just it's like, so handy. Just talking shit on me to her best friend. And I'm like, I know you're fucking bitching about me. We just had an argument. Like yeah. I know what's going on here. It's too handy. When we were younger, actually, when me and Chaos would like skip cues. When, just when you're younger doing shit. When we, like, in, when we went out snowboarding and the skiing and stuff. And you'd get people and like because we'd be speaking in english or something and then like french people behind us would start slagging us off in french and our favorite thing to do was turn around and say something in french back to them or be like oh sorry i didn't mean to and the the like their faces were just oh, priceless yeah. Yeah. to like 13 year old kids it was just like yeah so good yeah, yeah, yeah. it it fascinates me the switch yeah it's between, crazy like and i wonder I wonder with my wife, like because, like we've obviously we've been we've been around each other for so fucking yeah. long. Like so, I feel like she, I know anyone in the world. Like I know her really well. Mm-hmm. So it's like I've just got to like see that whole dynamic, and even like her personality. I feel like if I could speak Russian, I would know her better. <laughs> like I would know, like yeah. if, you know what I mean, because like the way that she can express herself like and her english is perfect like she speaks yeah. perfect english but i just you can see like the way that she can like use language yeah. in a sense like I it can be so much more and with russian there's like this russian personality and these russian yeah. words and these like you know there's one word we use all the time it's funny it's dushnila and it's basically like the way the trans there's no english translation but it's basically like if you're in a room and they just suck all of the joy and energy oh, out yeah? of the room, like oh, that, that person's a dushnila. <laughs> so like there's words that don't have English translations, but yeah. I think that there's something in terms of like your personality 100%. is somehow linked to that. Like I'm sure if I only spoke to you in French and we were having this conversation in French, like, you would come across in some way different. It's very hard no, to explain. No, 100%, because I say this to people all the time. Like, obviously, I don't speak French every day anymore, and I haven't for the past, mm, well, 10 years. And I do when I see my French friends on the circuit. But so some words kind of go missing. Not missing, but, like, the dialect changes, and, like, I have to think a bit more. And you like, talk and, around certain things. Yeah, and, like, I... Like in English, I'm like pretty sarcastic or I like to have a good laugh. And then in French, you just can't really be like that. And then if I think of something funny, the, like the time's gone. And I had to say to like one of my mates the other day, I was like, I promise I'm funny, <laughs> I'm funny okay? <laughs> it's just I can't get the words out in time. But yeah, I completely get it. And I don't feel like I express myself with the right words or the words that I'd like to use if I was speaking in English. Yeah. But I don't remember having that problem when I was younger because I think because I was speaking so it every fluent. day. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like fluent now, but yeah, it's just, it's a but lot harder. But there's a different, that like, I think fluency is like thinking in the language. Yeah. That is not translating. Yeah. You know, so like you can be fluent in the language. Yeah. 
in terms of you know all the word, like you know you know the language, mm-hmm. but are you translating to speak that language? No, I don't any like I don't now, no. But there's just sometimes I like I'll be speaking in French, like normally. I don't have to think about it. But then there'll be a certain word that I want to say and I won't even know it in English, like but I'll just be like, Great, I've blocked now, like and the story well, that's it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah conversation over, done. Yeah, <laughs> Thank yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I, I I've, yeah, I just find it so interesting, and, and my wife speaks Chinese as well. So, like oh wow, she, yeah, yeah, she's like a freak when it comes to it. But yeah, like just the different ways that you talk, the different accents, the different mm-hmm. energy, like the way, like the how the the energy it takes to like say the words and the accent, like it mm-hmm. just changes, and yeah. it's yeah, it's a fascinating thing to watch. But to what yeah to your point like that conversation in your head like i'm one of those people where it just goes 24 7 yeah and it, and meditation changed my relation i think you never get rid of that voice in mm-hmm. your head i don't think it's possible i think that you're kind of just wired to be like you just are a, a, you have synapses in your brain fire yeah. a certain way like that's it's a brain chemistry yeah just. yeah and but I think that you can definitely change the relationship to that voice. For and sure, so I yeah. fully cha- like I am now one a, a completely different yeah feeling around like what that voice is, and that is what come through meditation. And then there is times when I do meditate and I'm like I do it right, quote unquote, yeah, and it does go away and it's like sweet. But I also think that that's the thing that drives people like us to action sports mm. is because that's the only play or sports in general because that's the only time where that voice kind of goes away. Yeah, they say it all the time. When I was actually doing my like, um, what's it called? Like self-discovery in a way. I was uh, reading this book and it said like, it's a shame for people in action sports because they see, they feel like they're awakened because they but they have to seek a certain amount of thrill to get that um, not emptiness because it's not empty when you're like meditating but that safe place or mm-hmm. which is crazy because you're going to one extreme but it's the only time that we get a break yep. and like when I read that, I remember I was like, whoa, like I've just learned something about myself, like for what, sure. Where did, what book was I it? I really remember? can't remember. I read so if you many. Can, if you, I'd love to try and <laughs> yeah. read because I, I find that to be so fascinating. Yeah. Like it was one of the, it was honestly like the main topic of this podcast, like before. Yeah. I was like, what, what is it for you? You know, like what? Because, yeah. and I remember that, I remember the times in my life that were like shitty as a kid and, you know, you're trying to, figure out your place in the world you don't come from much you yeah. don't have the things that you want to have like the, i spent the first probably f- oh. my t- whole time at school was like basically me wishing i had all this shit that i didn't have mm. and it was like pretty torturous in a way like looking back now i wish yeah. and knowing what i knew now i wish i could have like reframed my whole perspective on mm-hmm. like life as a kid but all it made me do was just like reach for a bike yeah. Just 24, like that was, if I couldn't have the things that I wanted in my life, then I was riding a bike. Yeah. And so I was basically like the bike was the thing that took away the problems that I had in my life. And then I had to put the bike down. Yeah. I had to go to school and I had to like 
fucking be a person. But then I'd like go and just, I was like a, everything, I was just rushing to get back to the bike. Yeah. And I wasn't even very good, <laughs> you know? Yeah, but so many people can relate to that. Yeah. Just using like riding as an outlet, which I think is healthy in all Massively, honesty. yeah. But yeah, the book was basically saying that it's a shame because it can be reached by without not, that. yeah, without having to put yourself through an extreme like case or putting yourself into extreme danger you know you don't have to so that was my goal was to try and reach that peace and serenity in a way by not throwing myself down a mountain yeah and <laughs> it, it's the i guess like the thing I, I guess at some point it was probably like 2019 where i just clicked figured it out all the all the meditation stuff clicked all the like i was like oh okay cool i'm free like mm. <laughs> we're sweet now like i've, yeah. I've feel like I figured that out and I came to the exact same conclusion as that book I was like oh okay. that's mad you figured that out on your own though oh man it took me my whole Cause, life like when I read it I was like oh because at first they were talking about extreme athletes and I was like sick like because I was like oh I'm part of this book like, yeah and they were saying some cool stuff and then it was like oh yeah it's a shame I was like wait what yeah. <laughs> I was like basically telling me that I'm mental <laughs> it's like great but I but I <laughs> I mean, dude, there's like episodes of the pod. I, I, I would love to write a book about it one day, but mm. there's like episodes of the podcast where like talking to Robbie Madison about it and and then there was like a kind of, it was like well, probably one of the coolest moments in podcast history where I sort of like explained that to Travis where mm -hmm. I was like, and I hadn't kind of had any of my like quote unquote like realizations. Like the, my realization was basically like okay for your entire life you have just gone for this thing like just and it, that was like the one thing and then when you didn't have it your life was fucking shit yeah and then when you did have a find a way to like ride constantly or whatever. but like i'd work three jobs in high school just to have enough money to ride my bike in the mm. afternoon like it, it dictated every decision i made of like okay what kind of car am i going to buy like what am i going to what work am i going to do i wouldn't go do this i wouldn't just to like get that and i was so like i was obsessed with find like wanting to know why because like yeah. i could see the i could see like the imbalance you know yeah but yeah so then i was like i kind of just got on that process of like trying to figure it out and then I, on the podcast i'd just be like talking about like what is it what do you think what do you think but it's the craziest thing is, is it's in, if you look at any form of like spirituality in terms of like meditation and all that, it's literally all there. Yeah. All the answers, all there. Like they've fully deconstructed that yeah, entire. Yeah, they just strip everything yeah. back basically. Yeah. And, and, but now it's like, it's a shame. The shame is, it's not a shame that extreme sports athletes like go there. It's a shame that we don't know that it's possible without a surfboard and without yeah. a skateboard and without and it's like there's a we've practiced getting into those states so many times but it's like an accident yeah. so there's an <clears throat> there's an analogy that I, i've been like thinking about so it's the first time i've spoken about it so like if it's mm -hmm. if it's rusty let me know <laughs> but it's like there's two dudes jump out of a plane right and one guy is just chilling. He's got a parachute on and he's like, sweet, I'll look at my watch. When it's time to pull the parachute, I pull the parachute. Pa parachute I feel like pops. the other guy's going to be me. <laughs> well, the other guy's everybody, right? And so then the parachute 
comes out and then you glide down, great experience. And then the, the second guy jumps out of the same plane but has no idea about the mechanism that makes the parachute pop. But what he does is just fucking sucks out the whole way until the parachute pops. But he doesn't put the link together mm. that you have to pull. It's pulling this lever. The, the thing that pops the parachute is the chaotic panic and the arms waving and everything, and then it goes, right? So it's like when you understand the mechanism, like when you understand how the thing works, you don't really have a problem. Mm. You just pull the chute, the chute goes, and then you glide and you're safe. Yeah. But then how many times – and then so like you do it once and you're like – God, but it's like every day of life is you getting in a plane and jumping out and then you hope that the chute pulls. And like if you've got no relationship yeah. to it and then it's like the, you pull the chute, it goes and you're like, oh, and then you've got the rush. You're like, whoa, what a rush. Like now I'm free. I've got like this freedom now. But yeah. it's like it's random in a sense if you're going to pull the chute or not. Yeah. So it's like when you understand the mechanism that makes it, work all the panic can go away all the stress can go away yeah. all of that like well it feeds back even to like for example my dad always used to say like proper preparation prevents, prevents piss poor performance, performance. <laughs> and he says it's still every uh, single day when we're uh, racing it's uh, like not exactly the same but like i said it to my wife when there's the <laughs> <laughs> use it as much as my dad then. Uh, yeah but when the five wait is it five p's or six p's Proper planning prevents piss poor performance. Six. six. When the six P's are in place, your race weekend goes a hell of a lot smoother and more stress free than when you haven't done any preparation, obviously, and your shoes aren't like clean or your energy drink isn't there where you put it or, you know, just all the little bits yeah. that some people take more attention to detail, I guess. And even like my psychologist calls it the washing machine effect. And he's like, get out of the washing machine, you know, it's just stuff. Mm. But I feel like it's all well and good knowing the mechanism, but I do feel like to a certain point we're human and you do start the cycle again. So, for example, like I feel like I picked up this year on the mechanism and I was like, fuck yeah, I'm never going to get in that state again. That's, yeah. And no. then I find myself at Hardline. Yeah. And I'm like, one, what the fuck am I doing here? <laughs> I was literally like, I've just recovered from um, PCS and I'm, I'm here. Then I was like, when I started riding, I got so insanely scared before dropping in, like mm. just even dropping in. And then one of the jumps, I didn't have to do it. I really didn't have to do it, especially not this year. I could have done it any other year. I could do it next year, the year after when I'm all prepared. But the rush I knew I would get doing it is what pushed me to do it. I knew I was obviously going to land. Like I was like, I watched how much speed I needed for it. I like made Bernard Kerb follow me to make sure he thought I had enough speed. But I got so wrapped up in it all again. Like, And I promised myself that I wouldn't need to do that. But the whole point of me being at Hardline and ticking these features off is obviously I want to... Well, you're um, trying to prove it back to yourself. Yeah. And I want to inspire the younger generation. I want there to be women on the map for Hardline, like... And I don't think I'm going to be the person to do top to bottom, but I think with my profile and just being there helps a lot. Yeah. But then once I was there and I saw the jump, I was like, 
I just like was addicted. I was like, and like even like the techie sections in between, and like I'm hanging off the back. I'm scared. I'm like tripoding in some bits, and I make it down. I was like, fuck, like this <laughs> what is are you up to? yeah. But then I was like, but this is me. Like this is yeah. the riding I've always been fucking stoked on. Like the stuff that freaks me out, that scares me. That like I get bored in a bike park. Like yeah. Like doing a few corners. That's why I go fast. Like that's why I want to go as fast as possible. Yeah, I'm competitive, but like I don't get a thrill from just like, yeah, I find it a little bit fun, like some jumps, being with a good like group of people. That's fun, but it doesn't make me tick, you know? It doesn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like after Hardline, I was just like, oh no. Like just the realization of like, shit, like I like dangerous things. Like <laughs> it's like, oh no. <laughs> yeah. And that's okay too. <laughs> but it's I think like, meditate again now. <laughs> yeah, but it's like no, no, and I know I know what you're saying, but I think mm. for the average person though, it's like you to go back to that analogy, it's like you say to them at the bottom, you're like how was how was your trip? And you're like, oh, I was fucking so gnarly, but in the end the parachute ended up gone and uh, like uh, I, every time it seems to just work out like i just uh, it's happened every time like fuck it's yeah. scary because i don't know if it's gonna happen but it does and then that's the that's the uh, a surfboard or that's a mountain bike or that's a it's like yeah. you don't know you don't know the the actual thing that gives you the that freedom except it's in the bike yeah and so it's kind of I guess to to be able to live a life where it's like okay what I'm experiencing is a freedom from that voice in my head that's the thing that that's what I'm really trying to get from this and for you it's like scaring the fuck out of yourself like kind of puts you there yeah but again it's like okay so the problem isn't the scaring the fuck out of myself the problem is is that if that's the only time I have any peace from my yeah, own mind yeah. And so then you go, that's where you go like, okay, the problem I'm trying to fix by sending it is to stop that voice in my head momentarily because I live with it every fucking day and I'm sick of it. <laughs> so then it's like, that's the thing that needs inspection. It's actually not sending it down the hill yeah. and being like, that's not actually the problem. Writing is not the problem. It's like you just, when you realize the thing that you're trying to get out of it, and then you go, I can actually work on this like just in any moment by yeah. just understanding what the actual mechanism is. Like what is that voice in my head? What is it made up of? And then, you know, when you, you're sitting meditating and then, you know, you'll be like, if you do an hour meditation, you just realize like, I don't think any of these thoughts. Like yeah. I'm in a dark room with my eyes closed and there's just shit coming like yeah and i don't know about it before it gets there i don't know the contents of it i don't know what it's going to be i can't predict it i don't yeah. know when i'm going to stop thinking about it i don't know when but my brain will change topics puts people off though i think from meditation because i know that's put me off before is like well my thoughts are pretty wild and like when i'm out riding that's when they stop so why would i want to calm down not do anything and sit with my thoughts and the question I get loads is like, well, how do you stop them? It's like, you don't, you don't, it's not the point. And the point, if you try and stop them, it gets worse. Like the point is you just let them flow freely. Like my psychologist as well said, if you like, if there was a load of ongoing traffic, like in front of you, if you were like on the sidewalk and like every thought that came was a bus that stopped 
would you get on every single bus of that horrible thought and engage with it every single time? It's like, no, you'd just sit there and let it all go. Yeah. Like you just let you just watch the traffic. You wouldn't run out into the traffic, try and stop some of them, get on one of them. No, you just watch it flow. And Unless that was, there was so one good. you really wanted to get on. Yeah, if there's like a really sick Lamborghini pulling up, then yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> get on that one. Yeah. And, and I think the the biggest thing as well is like you realize you can't stop the thoughts. And if you do, that's just another thought. Yeah. Like also it's like a constant game of tennis. That's how I saw it. Like that's how I described it to my doctor when I was just like, I can't deal with it anymore. I was like, it is like a constant tennis match all the time, back, forth, back, forth. And he was like, well, stop engaging then. Yeah. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, shit. Yeah, it is really hard. But the moment you and like they always say to like observe your thoughts as an observer rather than engaging with them, just observe them. That helped me a lot as well. Yeah. And I think so that that is key right and so when you just observe your thoughts and you just see that it's like from your first person perspective it's like they just come from behind you Mm -hmm. and then they're here and then if you like really just observing them then they go and it's like you don't know where they come from and you don't know where they go yeah also they're just a load of shit half the time and and yeah you're not writing it it's yeah. not like you're it's not like there's some you that's like behind you writing the thought and then you're you read it out to yourself <laughs> after you've written like, yeah. it's just fucking random. Yeah. Well that helps as well. Some people if you write down your thoughts and you see how silly it is sometimes, like especially thoughts that scare you. That was another thing that helped me is like, I'll just write it down and I was so embarrassed to write them down, but once I did I was like oh well that's not gonna happen like you know or like <laughs> that actually just, is a good like, that's yeah. like a solid technique and it's honestly sometimes so hard to write it down because you know it's silly sounds crazy yeah but then when you do write it down it's like you've kind of got it off your chest and you look at it and you're like oh okay because it works a lot with obviously sports psychology and stuff and like before racing and like what like i always used to think people were like oh how do you do it and i think i'm pretty like tough mentally like I'm, i've always been pretty good at like putting my thoughts to one side they're like, oh, how do you do that? I'm like, well, I just like lay it out. Like, what are the facts? Like, mm. what are the facts? Like, did I go fastest in qualifying? Like, yeah. Ha- like, did Can I-, I do that again? Yeah. Yes. D- did I like nail this section? Yeah. Did I nail this section? No, but I'm going to try and do it better. Or like, it's just stupid shit. Like, I can't even think of a thought right now that would be silly because it's that silly. But there's just stuff that you're just like. Yeah. It's just not a problem for now. Yeah. And, it's and not going to help. And then I think, yeah, when you kind of, when you can do that for long enough, and that's the point of like actually practicing and actually yeah, sitting and gets doing easier. it. easier. You're not really doing anything. You're what, at least for me, how I look at it is like, you're just supposed to sit there until you have the actual realization that this shit isn't really coming from like me. It's yeah. just a, it's like a, just a process that's happening in my body yeah. in the same, like I'm not breathing. Yeah. Like that's happening for me. Like my fucking blood's yeah. getting pumped around. Like all of the shit that's going on in my, like I'm really not doing it. And then when you sit and this voice in your head that is the thing yeah, that causes like say, made all of the <laughs> dramas that come with, it's like they're just these fucking random Yeah, well shit. it's meant to scare you enough. Your voice is there yes. to try and protect you. It's meant to scare you enough so that you turn around and say no but if you keep doing that, you're literally going to end up depressed in your bed, not doing anything. Like, it's just 
so toxic like the voice in your head is so toxic and it's been built from society and like the day and age we live in like we're meant to go off of like instinct and you're meant to energies and all this shit you know and that's why when you're riding a bike you're having a blast because you're not thinking you're doing stuff if you come around a corner and you're about to crash and all of a sudden you don't and you're like what and you get that rush of energy like we were saying earlier like that was all instincts you didn't yeah. think like yeah. oh i'm gonna turn my like right arm a little That's bit to so save true. this like you don't do that it's not thought Everyone always says, like, think less, ride more. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's, like, I think that's another cool thing where, like, if you if you are, like, an action sports person and if you are, well, you listen to this podcast, you are. But it's, like, <laughs> you you do realise that the best things you do on a bike, you don't think of it. It's, like, you weren't really thinking about it. It just kind of happened. Like, And mm-hmm. exactly what you said, I love that analogy. Like, I use that all the time is, like, if you're about to crash, you're the last person to know. Yeah. Like you've saved the crash and you don't know how, you don't know why, yeah. you don't know what you've happened. You've just done it. You just did it and you're finding out last. Yeah, <laughs> like, so true. And it's like, but that's that's right there, that's the key. Mm-hmm. That voice in your head is like the story about the life that you've already lived. Yeah. And then the worry of like how that then interfaces with the future and like deals with the future. But it's like the actual living, like the doing of the thing. I didn't have one fucking question planned for this conversation. You know, (laughs) like I go riding and I have no plan, no plan which lines I'm going to take. Like it's all just coming at you and your body's just doing it. And like if you can start to like live in accordance with that more and more then you can like find that same level of freedom that we find as like action yeah. sports people every day, you know. Mm. Look at us. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favourite topics yeah. in, case, in case you didn't know. No, it's just, I love it. It's just cool you've really been through it, you know, yeah. like you really had to kind of like dive deep for that to happen, yeah. you know, for you to like get out uh, of it. I wish that everyone could know that feeling and obviously once you crack it it's not like yeah i'm so awake and like that's it rest of your life it's clockwork like all the time like that was another thing that crazy lady said oh that's so horrible that i brand her as crazy lady because she (laughs) was so wonderful she's definitely not crazy like it's just easier to say it that way and like she's like a little fairy basically but she said to me look like you're probably like life's like clockwork and you go through it all the time and she was like and you're at like the lowest part she's like it's going to come back around but it will eventually come like down to the low part again i'm like oh my god no she's like but that's life like literally life is clockwork and so even if you learn like so many lessons like I've seen myself go back into bad habits. Like I said, I like I spent five weeks off of my phone because of my concussion. I couldn't look at a screen. Yeah. I was like, this was the best thing ever. I was barely on my phone during my whole concussion. I live on it again because I have to because of work and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And that's something I wanted to stop. And then another thing, I wanted to meditate every day. I meditate like once a week, you know, and it's just like little things but then something will happen that makes me realize again, probably yeah. after this chat, I'm going to go straight back and meditate. <laughs> you know, it's just like you can't be perfect all the time and like the pressure of trying to be perfect is almost worse oh yeah and again just let that go too in the same way that you let the voice in your head go like just let the pressure let let it all go like you can just yeah you'll live like to or just do some gnarly shit (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, Yeah. Uh, the the good thing though like 
that the crazy lady who's not crazy and is really, yeah. really nice, she's so right in the sense that it just goes around and around. I'd, I'd always think about like the tide, you know, like mm-hmm. in the ocean. It's just in and it's out. It's in yeah. and it's out. It's like everything happens like that, you know, like you're happy, you're sad. Yeah, it's like how you might be happy for ages and then you're sad a little bit. Yeah. And then you, you know, it's not like it's the same every single time. But the one thing... I mean, right now, after going through everything that you've gone through in the last 12 months, the next thing that tests you is going to be so much easier. Yeah, for just you different, to get through. won't it? Yeah, you know, so be- different. Because you've got like a framework around, oh, well, I dealt with this like this yeah. previously. And, you know, it's that's why they're saying like the hardest thing you've ever been through is the hardest thing you've ever been through yeah you know like it until until you've had that thing and you've kind yeah. of like overcome it you kind of you don't really have a framework to to do that again and i think that there's something liberating about having some gnarly shit happen yeah. in your life because you kind of know that like, you have a like a reference point like i could definitely go sure. through that again you know well that was that was actually a huge worry of mine was like fuck like I can't live through this again like when I was like deep in it I was mm. like I remember sharing my thoughts and feelings with family and close friends and being like there is no way I would ever put myself in a position that this would be possible again I don't want anyone to go through this even my worst enemy like absolutely not it is just almost unbearable like I had suicidal thoughts like it was just so horrible and someone told me one of my close friends was just like yeah but it will be different next time and it's so simple but I was like yeah but how like is I wouldn't be able to do this again he's like it's not gonna be this again like you've grown you've learned more like you're strengthening your neck because obviously my main worry was to hit my head again he's like just everything will be different like it's not gonna be the same but at the time obviously I was convinced I wasn't ever gonna ride again but here we are obviously 16 months later or whatever and I've raced a full season I crashed my brains out at some of the races like I should have lost an arm in one of my crashes and then really? and then here did you have you seen at world champs oh, wait, I crashed again yeah all right let me find let yeah. me try and find it I, I need to see it wait it was like quite far down it's when I'm in the blue kit so like dark blue kit you'll be able to let me have a look or I can send it to you if you can't find it oh but... I'll do that I want to see I need context because but it was that bad well bearing in mind like i qualified second with this crash and at this with this crash with this crash i was convinced i've spoken about it already but i was like i've just done a ken roxon for sure like my arm is just no the fact that i obviously like it doesn't look as bad in the it's mad that it doesn't look as bad wait where is it okay should have sent now. Yeah. Oh, I did see this. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it looks like quick, eh? In that, like, you can't really. You see me check my fingers at the end? I was like, I thought my, oh. f- I thought it had ripped my arm up. Like, the initial hit was just like, I remember my head went with my arm because when it the initial hit and I guess because I had insane arm pump after four and a half minutes of Fort oh, William yeah. like the blood must have just been all in my you get severe you can barely hold on like 
everyone there can barely Everyone's hold Everyone's like that? Every, most people. If you wow. don't get arm pump, I'm sure you've had that surgery or whatever, but it is just brutal, brutal yeah. on the arms. And when I hit my arm, I remember looking at my arm thinking like, they're just staring at it. In the, I didn't even care how it was crashing after that. I was just floating through the air looking at my arm like, well, that's another season just gone. Like, fucking great. Isn't um, it crazy when you crash, you have so much go through your head well, in yeah, like at that the point, shortest I, I, period of yeah, time. Yeah, because that obviously you just saw the crash. It's yeah. so quick. But then I hit the floor with my back and I remember thinking like, I'm not going to, like, my arm's going to be hanging off. Like, the I've exploded my bone into, there's no way I'm going to be able to move it. And that's when you see me look at my fingers and I'm, like, staring at my fingers. And I wiggle my fingers and I remember being so confused. Like, if you could zoom in, yeah. I think, on my face, you, I think I'd be frowning at my hands, like, how the fuck can I still move my fingers? It was just the, expl I've never been in so much pain. My, really? So much pain. And then, not only that, when obviously I got into the medics, Obviously, they touched my arm. I've never, honestly, it was so painful. I was wriggling everywhere. I was like, can't believe I put myself through this again. And the doctor was just like, hey, we're all good, I think. Like, <laughs> nothing's broken. And like, I've never given a death stare so bad to a doctor in my life. Oh. Like, I've done a few death stares. And typically, my injuries have always been worse after being, like, when I go to a specialist, we find out that they're worse. Yeah, I it's just, never better. Yeah, I just looked at my dad and I was just like, no. Nah. Like, I would not be putting on a scene. <laughs> I was like, no, I don't believe him. And he was like, oh, do you want some paracetamol? I was like... <laughs> Get me a chopper. Yeah, yeah, paracetamol. I need some morphine or something, mate. But yeah, no, that was really, really bad. But so, so it just ended up being fine? Like, just bruising and shit? Yeah, or? it was like, I had a huge hematoma. And I'm pretty sure, like, I still have a big lump and, like, bruising. Yeah. And I think like I must have torn the muscle. The bruising was gnarly. I couldn't hold on for like three weeks after. Like there was a lot of fluid, but luckily went down in time for the next like World Cup. But that crash, I'd had a couple before that. I was obviously insanely scared of crashing again. But after that crash, I felt like I was like, fuck, like if I can do that. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm sweet. Like that was like my third crash of the season. I was just like, pfft whatever like i know how to crash a bike like not all crashes are going to be bad so i was just like fuck yeah like let's keep on racing because i guess that could have for sure just been like yeah like nah i'm done yeah which i was on the verge of doing but that's exactly why i didn't do it because i was like if i give in now i feel like it would be so easy to come across a hurdle and just turn around and mm. walk away so and I'm not that person. I don't want to be like I've said it so many times and there's like people must be so bored of me saying this, but I didn't want to be paralyzed by fear for the rest of my career or my life. Yeah. So I was like, if there's one time that I want to show to myself, I didn't even care about the result at that point. I was like, fuck, like I've wasted the rainbow jersey again. So I was just like, I'm just gonna for my own sake, I'm gonna strap up and I'm gonna go up there and I'm gonna ride. So I was like, fuck it, like I was so scared. I was like, I don't even know if I can hold on. I didn't practice in the morning. I tried, but like cried halfway, not even halfway. I made it to the second corner. No shit. Yeah. And like, and then just cruised down and didn't do another practice. I like missed out on the whole morning practice. I ended up getting sixth, which pretty I'm solid. pretty stoked on. <laughs> yeah. And I was like nine seconds off on like a pretty long track. So I was like, fair enough. But I was just so happy I made it down. And I was like yeah. so happy that I was like, I just didn't give up because that would have been a really easy time 
after everything I've been through to just been like, you know what, this shit's too dangerous. I'm putting myself through too much fucking, I don't know, in too many injuries. Just but, the yeah. stress too, like, it, you know, yeah. if, if, when it's gone from being something that was so fun and something that you loved yeah. so much to then just being like, yeah, scared yeah. and stressed, like it's a, it's a gnarly – I guess it's like too gnarly of a sport to be going into it with that headspace. Yeah, for you know? sure. But I wanted to like, I, I could feel the fun slowly coming back and like the enjoyment of racing. And at Worlds Week, I felt like myself again. Everyone was saying it on track. All the videos you could tell I was right up there. Mm. Like the rainbows were definitely on the cards, but we were just staying like quiet and humble about it. And then that crash happened and obviously like everything just got blown up. But I was just like, I just don't, yeah, I just... I was finding the love for it slowly. I was like, I can't let this ruin it after everything I've been yeah, through. Yeah, that you've worked through to like, get there. Uh, like, I've done so much. But yeah, it just goes to show, like, I was petrified of crashing my bike after my concussion. Like, the thought of it, I wanted to throw up. Like, if I thought about it, I just avoided thinking about it because the thought was just, I was just like, oh my God, like, I'll stop fucking walking downstairs if I get that scared. Yeah. So yeah, to get to that point, I was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm back now like that's it like if I can take a crash like that but I just hope people see that like because a lot of the time people are like fuck you're so gnarly like how do you have no fear or like yeah, I'm yeah. like dude I think like I'm one of the, like I'm so scared of everything <laughs> like yeah. we wanted to go surfing here I'm scared of getting eaten by a shark like no joke you won't I was everyone scared says that started surfing, everyone yeah. says <laughs> that but it doesn't change the fact that I'm still scared like yeah. it's not even reassuring in the slightest, I'm sorry. And then one of my mates got stung by a stingray the other day. And I was just like, so not only do I have to worry about sharks now, stingrays, and my fear of open water is just huge. <laughs> I still went in, but honestly, the stress of being in that water was crazy. And Fox got me a custom surfboard. Oh. So big up Fox, that was insane. But I feel now forced <laughs> to go into the water. But it's like, I hate being in the water. <laughs> That's a good fear to overcome, though. It is, yeah. I... When I lived here uh, the first time around, I'd never surfed at all because growing oh, yeah. up in Cairns, there's no waves. Yeah. And then the dudes that I was living with were surfing and I remember being so <laughs> fucking scared. Like I've paddled out and you're probably 30 or 40 metres away from oh, the no, shore. I can't do it. And it you just you feel like you are 10 miles uh, <laughs> offshore, you know, and it's like I remember just the first – few months surfing of just like looking down constantly at you can't even see anything well you know (laughs) i did see a shark one time though what yeah there was down near the mexico border so you're safe but like after a while what's crazy is you'll find in the same way with downhill that you're just not as scared and shit's just not as gnarly like you just get accustomed to it (sighs) and then the ocean is one of the most like you'll feel so safe in the ocean after a while that's when my meditation needs to come into play. Yeah. But I think I watched Jaws when I was too young and it's just scarred me I forever. I never watched Jaws. Yeah, I just don't. I think even now it would probably scare me. I don't know. Oh, I'd better See, I don't watch horror movies. I don't mm, like... Neither. Yeah, I don't do a lot. Maybe I'm pretty scared too, to be honest. But yeah, I don't I don't watch... If it's anything that can fucking put weird shit in my head. Cause oh, yeah, like, fuck that. It's just... Like, I think the same about like Instagram though, you know, like you just, it's such a, like a dice roll, like what you're going to see I next. I see like, so many gnarly crashes on Instagram. I'm like, <laughs> what? Like, I can't say anything. I've literally just showed you mine, but 
some of the stuff and then like them recovering from you know broken backs and broken necks i'm like about to go up for my fucking race run <laughs> and i've just randomly scrolled on that one and i'm like cool yeah. <laughs> great yeah. yeah i want i want to be control the inputs as yeah. much as possible because yeah. the fucking inputs they generate some outputs so of thoughts true. and i'm like oof i don't know if i like yeah. i want to go there yeah well that was another thing actually i learned that i have just got into a bad habit again in the first hour of when you wake up is when your brain is like the mushiest and like mm. just takes everything in to set you up for the day. Yeah. So obviously we all just grab our phone and like scroll for a bit. That's like the worst thing you can do in the first hour. And when I didn't do that, I felt amazing. Even at, when I was still at my worst, it made me feel a lot better. Yeah. And I just haven't done that. That's something I'm going to do actually. Maybe I'll do okay. that with you because I'm pretty bad with that. Like, because yeah. my, this is my excuse. Okay, this is why I do it. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. my staff are in Australia. Yeah. And so I wake up in the morning, I check my emails, I check all my shit. But like, it's the dumbest thing to do. What what I, all through COVID for basically two years, I've read every morning for an hour. Mm. As soon as I got up, got up, made a coffee and read for an hour. Sometimes two. I've read, I think in those two years, I read like like a hundred books almost. Like no I was just yeah, so... Yeah, I, I read a lot actually. was the best. Yeah. And I did the same. I wouldn't look at my phone. And um, my wife, we got separated basically through COVID. Oh, and no. so she was on like a different time zone. So like I didn't... I wouldn't have to like wake up and talk or anything like that. So yeah. I like I literally had two hours in the morning where I, I didn't have any yeah. distractions. And I was like in Oz. So I couldn't really use that work. But yeah, that was an amazing time of just like get up in the morning make myself a coffee sit on the couch and read and that would just fully start my day and then yeah now i'm back to yeah, literally check like my phone instant i just sit yeah. on the toilet for like 25 minutes and just like check all and my it's all, all my messages it's all, all my shit like if you're on instagram it's just all crap as well and it sets you up for the day like and you like we we're saying you can't choose what you see always so you're just getting fed like there's some round there's such random stuff like unnecessary stuff or if you're scrolling tiktok and then like i see like homeless dogs that need adopting or like <laughs> once yeah. and then i'm crying my eyes out and then the next video is like something funny and i'm laughing so much and then dopamine is just like that like gone like that so then throughout the day it's harder to get that because you know that you can just so easily get it on your phone yeah so yeah yeah oh yeah no that it's, shit's so real i've tried to stop scrolling yeah like I've tried to just, I did a massive unfollow yeah. recently and mate, it's just fucking chicks. Like yeah. you just get forced, <laughs> just pussy in your face all fucking day. Well, we've a, got a different algorithm. I know. Basically. Yeah. We have a different, we have a different algorithm. But honestly, Mine's just homeless dogs. Just, and yeah, my, my wife's is cats. But if you're a fucking dude, your Instagram you, feed, you also the same. Like, oh, it's so random. Nah, it's not random. But it's like, but it's like, <laughs> I will, I've thought about this a fair bit. <laughs> but there's one bad thing that happens on Instagram. This is because so I've I went through and just did like a huge cull unfold. Like yeah, just I've done not, that before. Yeah, not a, there's just nothing right. But you'll get like. A lot of this is what's actually super gnarly these days. A lot of fucking OnlyFans chicks will buy male Instagram handles, change really? the Instagram, change the at, delete all the photos, start posting new pictures. Yeah. And they're just all so because they're already in that 
algorithm. So, oh. And so, and I know this because I've just, I did like this So your wife unfollowed. pulled you up on it and you were like, I didn't but, follow. <laughs> but I'm like, I'm, I actively like wanted, like I want yeah. that shit gone, you know. And then she's like, yeah, what the fuck's this? And I'm like, honestly, what? And it was like a, um, it was like a, a fucking, yeah, just a full OnlyFans thing. And I was talking to my mate about it. I'm like, bro, does, has this ever happened to you? I was like, I fully unfollowed. Like I just went through unfollowed everybody yeah. and I had three fucking OnlyFans chicks on my Instagram. And he told me, and he goes, dude, it happens to me all the yeah. fucking time and it's, they're buying, they buy. Yeah, people pro- do buy. Like I've heard it for brands as well. Certain brands, if you've got like a high profile, lots of followers, some people will approach you to buy your account, yeah. which is crazy. But yeah, so it's just like even, there's just that platform, those apps, like they're just, they're designed very specifically. Yeah. And it's like if you want to live your life at the mercy of that, then like cool. But yeah, it's, like you it's gotta- hard though when your job surrounds it all the time. Yeah, like I used to be really active on my Instagram, and like since my concussion mainly, I've like pulled back a lot because it's just so unhealthy. And I love to share stuff with my fans. It's such a great way of connecting with them and with the industry. But I just like I go for months now without posting. Like I've mm. been here for what since like the third. I just haven't posted anything. Do you have like anyone that does your socials? No. Or it's all just you. Yeah. What you, have you ever thought about trying to get someone? To I do wouldn't it? trust anyone to do it. I kind of enjoy it. Like I do, yeah. and it's me. Like that's what. You yeah, know. but you you could. I'll talk to you about it after actually. Yeah. But there's um, yeah, you should try and just get with someone that like is cool that you kind of trust the vibe. Like, yeah. You, and then just have them do like a very specific post, like just straight business post to where yeah. it's like when you get third, you got a toolbox with the color. Yeah, but see, know. this is the thing. It's like I have a, like a huge following, I think, because it's, it's me. Yeah. And like I like talking about my race after. I don't mind that stuff. Like I always put out what I want to put out and like I'll be honest with how I feel and it goes like not super in-depth, like, but it's just me and how I feel when – like if I was to just put, oh yeah, sick third place or whatever, like I wouldn't get that connection with my fans. And mountain biking is such a huge community. And I just, I don't know, I like connecting with people. Like that's me as a person. I like yeah. people. But during that process, it has become quite a lot. The more followers you get, obviously, at the races, it can become a little bit demanding. Or yeah. if I'm trying to focus, someone might not know and come up to me and ask for a photo, which I'll always try and have time for. But sometimes it's just like not great timing. And then I feel guilty for saying yeah. no. And like just all this shit starts happening. But people don't definitely don't teach you about how you should feel in those moments. I know. <laughs> like you, even. Yeah, like even for me with that stuff, like I've, for me, it's very, very like low pressure. But yeah. I'm just like, fuck, I got to be that guy. <laughs> like, yeah. you got to be the always smile, always pumped, like happy. And sometimes yeah. you're just like, like, well, I have a resting bitch face, and I feel like my followers know it, so I can kind of get away with <laughs> just looking straight up miserable half the time. But <laughs> you just but say I haven't, I haven't seen sun in like six yeah. months. So there you go. The perfect excuse. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I think that that's another thing that you don't really, there's no real roadbook for like how it's supposed to feel to like have yeah. the adulation of people and to yeah. have people like 
a fan of you. Yeah. Like it's, I still it's quite find a weird, it weird. Yeah. yeah it's a quite it, a weird I'm not thing. saying that fans are weird or anything, but it's a, for no, me, it's a weird, it's weird thing to go through. Because I'm like, I just ride my bike. I like sharing my stuff on social media. So when someone comes up to me and says like, I don't know, like I'm such an inspiration and stuff and what I do, like it's almost like it's so overwhelming for me because – I'm just, I don't get it. Like, I'm just like, I don't think what I do is anything special. So I'm just like, I always yeah, I walk think, away like, like, oh, like, I don't know how to feel. I'm just like, thank you, like, a lot. But, like, I'm glad, like, but I'm just always like, oh, like, so weird. Like, I don't know how to feel. I'm just always like, like, I'm not that cool, you know? I'm, just, I'm like, like I said, I'm scared of sharks and like, <laughs> I don't know. I'm just like, I think I'm always so in my own head that it's just like, yeah. Yeah, I find it, like, just weird. Yeah, and I think that's probably – that's what I was about to say. Like, yeah. A, you're just thinking about it too much. But yeah. <laughs> I think our culture in terms of – I think, like, the UK and Aussie culture is pretty similar in the fact that you're taught to never be cocky. You're taught to yeah. never drink your own Kool-Aid. And it's, a, like, a cultural thing. And I, I wonder – I'd love to – do a bit of a history lesson that's like a dive in my own time of like where fame came from yeah like who obviously you go there's like alexander the great and yeah. you know like julius caesar and the emperors and the princes and the bit like well people create a fake like idea yes. of someone that they're so much better than everyone else or or even some people think that and i think since this whole like meditation and concussion thing I would like even before like I don't feel like at the end of the day we're all human you know like that's so cliche to say but I don't feel like I'm any better just because I've had eight world cup wins or a few podiums like that's not impressive to me like what's impressive to me is like how nice are you or like yeah. how like that's so I have to get to know someone and like I'm quite reserved I think a lot of people don't see that because my Instagram is very open but it takes me a long time to yeah. like get down with someone like to actually like vibe with them and like I don't know it takes a lot people always say that about me that it's like I'm very like they call me ice queen in the beginnings just hard to crack you know but you haven't met my wife <laughs> <laughs> i think there's a few of us <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah i think there's a um there's a i guess like a part of our culture that would say that you shouldn't want to like feel good about someone coming up to you and you like if you if if you liked that or if you if it made you feel any type of way that you would be kind of a kook in our like culture yeah. you know and i think in america it's like very different it's super celebrated and that's where it's like i wonder i'd love to I feel like that modern idea of like fame and yeah. adulation kind of like came from here like i Maybe. don't i don't hollywood think, <laughs> yeah yeah for real yeah. like i don't I mean, it's just a different vibe here yeah. when it comes to when it comes to that stuff. Like in Oz, like I don't really get stopped for photos. Like people, if they if they know about the podcast, they're like yeah. want to have a chat. And they want like they'll mm. just talk to you like you're one of their friends. It's there's been so many times where I meet people, 
and they just start talking to me like we're mates and I literally have the thing in my head. I'm like, <laughs> Do I know are you? we friends? Yeah. <laughs> like, Shit, have I forgotten this person's forgot, name? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I forgot, not this person's name. Like, <laughs> have I forgot being. this person completely <laughs> existed and like we're really good homies? Yeah. But in America, it's like a, it's a completely different vibe, you yeah. know? Like, so I think there's cultural and it's like the same appreciation for the same thing but it's a different culture for sure. that's like guiding the way a person as well now. acts. Yeah. So I just think you've probably got a bit of like that British tall poppy, don't be yeah. bigger than, you know, don't think you're too cool. Don't think like it's so ingrained. I'm not cool though. That's the thing. I know, I know <laughs> but it's like that's what yeah. that's probably the it thing is that my you're way, yeah. fighting against is like you're like i'm not cool i'm not special <laughs> fuck like i'm not i'm not saying i'm good don't don't think i think that about myself <laughs> yeah. you know my dad always says to me actually he was like you should be more confident because like it suits you well you know you're like because sometimes we'll be joking around and he'll I'll say something or he'll be like oh yeah i reckon you could do that and i'm like yeah because i'm motherfucking tiny sea grape and he's like yeah. whoa where did that come from and i'll just laugh it off i'll be like i'm just like, joking <laughs> yeah i'm joking <laughs> joking he's like no you should say that more often i'm like what no that's horrible but like i've always said if i could ride my bike race my bike without instagram and all the following like i actually i would i would yeah. prefer to do that and there's definitely athletes like that yeah but i also understand how much how many opportunities Instagram has given me and how connected I can stay to my fans. And I do actually enjoy that. Like I do love meeting people, but sometimes it's just overwhelming. Sometimes like if I'm, if I've had a bad day or if I'm too much in my head and stuff, or I guess it's also coming from there. Like sometimes you just don't feel good enough and you're like, yeah, if I'm like feeling like shit and all these people look up to me, like they don't know that I'm feeling like shit inside and then you you kind of feel guilty. Yeah. You feel like a fraud. I've said that many times sometimes you just feel like a fraud and it's yeah. like you're like like when I have kids come up to me I remember actually so the year before I had my concussion so 2022 no 21 yeah I was struggling a lot with neck pain and uh, I just wasn't feeling like myself and it was in Val Sol. I was going up to my apartment so I got into this elevator and this guy like stops the elevator doors and he's got like three young girls with him and they're just like looking at me with like the cutest eyes and I was I'd had a shit day like I'd qualified like I didn't know what was going on with my neck and stuff I was just like doing really crap and I felt so guilty for my original thought because I was like yeah I just didn't have the energy and then the door opens and I see the girls and they're and the dad's like can you please wait like I've got something they've got something for you so I kept the doors open and the girls are just like staring at me and I, I was just kind of like, okay, what's going on? And this guy runs back and hands me some drawings. He's like, okay, like they just wanted to meet you and give you these. And I was like, oh, cool. Like didn't really look at them. I was like, sweet, thank you so much. And they just all waved, like elevator doors went. I looked at the drawings and just burst out into tears because uh. it was like, it was so cute. Like it was just so unreal. And these girls like, I then realized it made their day like just that small interaction hopefully inspired them or I don't know but that that whole interaction just made me like cry like I didn't know whether I felt guilty or happy or sad or like so stoked or yeah I was just I couldn't stop crying like for ages yeah but it was like the cutest thing and I'll never forget it like because I remember being that kid as well yeah and I think that's probably just like the perspective that you should 
take when it comes to that stuff is just yeah. like embrace it as like, oh, I don't earn this. Yeah. Like it's not a, not something you asked for, not something you sought, you know, sought for. It's not a, it wasn't a goal or a part of like the want to be a mountain biker, but it's just become this like byproduct, this thing you've earned that you're this really cool person that is very genuine and great at what you do and chooses cool colorways that little yeah. girls <laughs> resonate with and it's like all of those things added together equals this awesome person that people look up to you know mm. and it just doesn't it doesn't make you better than them which is a feeling that you don't want to have mm. and it's like i don't i don't know that i mean some people maybe weirdly think that you're better than them but it's like i think it's more of people just having a genuine appreciation for like what you've given them yeah. you know and it's like there's a there's a weird I had I had like a weird feeling of like I don't know how to explain it, but I ended up feeling like I got so much out of the podcast by <clears throat> by a certain point mm. when it was like my full time job and I was like able to afford I was just like a full fledged adult for the first time in my life. Like I just and it was as a result of this and then I almost like it's like I just stopped wanting shit from it. You yeah. know, like I just fully, uh, it's like I felt like I had to try and try and try and try and try to get to a point where it's like it almost like couldn't be taken away. And then it was like I got to that point and I was like, sweet. Like I sort of like don't want anything now. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, you, you work out the equation of I win in this situation. Like I'm enjoying this conversation thoroughly. I'm hoping mm-hmm. that you're enjoying this conversation <laughs> yeah. as well. And then we'll put it out and then hopefully all these other people enjoy it and then they get something from it. So it's like I'm winning, you're winning, and then they're winning. And then it's at a certain point where I'm just like, Oh, okay. I'll just that's all I gotta do. Yeah. Like I just gotta keep enjoying the podcast, making sure that the guest likes the podcast and then you put it out to the world and then normally if like i like it and you like it <laughs> they'll like it and then it's as fucking simple as yeah. that and then people there's going to be some people that it that resonates hate it. <laughs> yeah and there's going to be some people and they'll that, tell you <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah there's going to be some people that fully think it's the lamest shit on planet earth and then there's going to be some people that love it and don't yeah. feel any other type of way. And then there's going to be some people that love it and it changes something about their life. It makes them better. And then they'll have like that appreciation in the way that those mm. girls would have for you. And it's just like, that's cool. Yeah, you know, that like is it, cool. It doesn't have to be – you don't – like what I'm trying to say is like you don't have to be fully fixed. <laughs> you don't have yeah. to be dialed. You don't have to always be in the best mood or place – for like all that to still be true, if yeah, that makes sense, you know. For sure, that does make sense. Because it's a, it's just like it is a it's a weird thing. Like people, I fucking never thought that would happen out of this. Yeah, like it was just a, un, like a you start doing it, and you're like, okay, I hope this does well, and I hope I can make money, and I hope I don't have to get another job. Yeah, <laughs> like that, that's how it's. That's kind of how I felt yeah, with my racing. Yeah. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yeah, it's kind of that same thing where you're just like, fuck, I just want this to work so I don't have to do another thing. Because either way, you have to find out something that like sustains you living. And then, yeah, people end up liking it and people end up coming after you or coming up to you and talking to you and sending you shit. And you're just like, holy fuck, I had no idea that this was like a part of it. Yeah. That is cool, actually. And some people don't, some people 
spend their whole careers resisting it too. And I don't, it just, I don't think you have to. Yeah. I've been told that before as well. What's that? Like, they're like resisting it and stuff. Being like, just let it flow. That's one thing that I do struggle with a lot. I don't know why, but it's just, I think when I was a bit younger and I thought I was like invincible and I thought I didn't really, like I said, I was a bit naive, didn't really have a care for what anyone else was doing. I just did my thing, won some races, but I just felt like I was so naive and like closed off and like narrow-minded and like now I just feel like I like I don't get me wrong like that athlete was so needed to get to where yeah, it did yeah 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 but now like I'm just like fuck like it makes me laugh like looking at myself like a little bit not I'm not embarrassed or any in any way but it's just like I there's like an interview that came up not so long ago when I was like 14 and <laughs> And like, the question was like, oh, so what's your like tactic to win? Or what, how do you think you're going to do this weekend? I can't remember what it is, but my answer was so cocky. And I've never thought I've been a cocky person, but I was watching this like, oh, it was something like, well, you just got to take the fastest line, haven't you? And when I do that, I'll win. I was just like, what the hell? I was like, who is that girl? I was like, no. And then like, I see all these old videos of me, like sending these huge jumps and like, Obviously, I would hang around the pros and I just say I didn't see it at the time, like how lucky I was and stuff. But again, that maybe just comes with age. But I think just some of the events in my life and looking back at how I was, I'm just like, I like to be humble. But there is a certain point where you turn up to a race and you've got to know your worth because if not, there's no chance of you winning. So that, again, is for me a little process that I'm on. I like to remain, I don't think humble is the word, but just... I like to know where I stand, but I also, I've got to believe that I can win. I've got to believe that I am better than 99% of the people here. Cause if not, I'm not going to win. Yeah. So I just didn't want to get dragged back into that mentality or a, that horrible side of an athlete that can be, you know, super cocky and mm-hmm. arrogant. And cause we see it quite a lot. And that's sometimes like, yeah, someone might be a dick, but they've also won however many championships and I also want to win however many championships, but I don't want to give up part of my personality to be that. So it's just about finding that fine line for, for me again, I reckon. Well, it's you're so right. And how I look at it is like you're describing like ego. And oh, it's yeah. Like, so you go... Like Max Verstappen is the best example of just. The <laughs> I most, love him so much, though. But I he is the—he's literally the definition of what you just said. Like he's the most <laughs> egotistical motherfucker on planet Earth. And what has he done? Won more Formula yeah. One races than anyone. But like, have you seen his behind the scenes? Like, he's actually so funny. He's so like brutal and just like. But that, oh, he's in unreal. a way, inspires me a bit. I'm like, I want to be more Max. Like, because yeah. I feel like I like that's how you've got to be to to win that much like you've just got to not give a fuck and but then I'm like but I also don't want to look like a dick so I'm like and I'm not like that but I'm inspired by him a lot so I'm like well what do you want like you know you're you're confusing yourself (laughs) well I think you should look at it like a helmet like your ego is like a helmet it's just a tool that you need to do your job true like just literally play the role you know and it's like I was literally just so Nicky Rod. I'll send you some yeah. clips from the podcast. The dude that was just on. He's so fuck. It. He's sitting in the chair like this, and he's like, 
I get to the competition and I know I'm the fucking man. <laughs> <laughs> he's like from Philly. Oh, what a and, contrast. And he's just like this massive dude. But then I want to hold the mic. Like just sit. He was just sitting down and just yeah. uh, the whole, you know, just so yeah. chill, so relaxed. I'm, I'm the fucking man, you know. But it's like, uh, but then he's that guy, right? And then five minutes later, the conversation goes to the training room, and he's like, "Oh yeah, you can't have any ego." He's like, "You have to be. Yeah, you have to like train a certain way. You have to like this is." So he's, without saying it, like the ego is just a tool for him. Yeah. And it's like, how many tools do you need to go racing? You already, so pos- many. You already <laughs> possess like a hundred tools yeah. that you need to do your job. You need a bike, you need front suspension, you need rear suspension, you need yeah. pedals, you need shoes, you need knee pads, you need a helmet, you need an ego. Yeah, I never actually saw it like that. Like I never really thought, because I'm just like, Ever since the concussion, I'm like, ego's been fully dropped. Like, yep. I don't think there's any place for it. Yep. And that's the thing. I've just been like, there's no place for an ego here. But obviously, it slowly creeps in. But I didn't recognize it as an ego, I guess. And like, this is the thing. is like, I can sit here and say all of this stuff. But like I said before, at some point, I need to, when I'm there, at some point, I do believe I'm the best there. Yep. And I am better than everyone else. Because if not, I wouldn't put the race run down like I do. And I know for a fact... But I think my switch is so close to my race run. It's like almost mm. every time it's the same timing. And I think that's why in practice I'm like super mellow. No one takes any clips of me because I ride slow. Like everyone thinks I'm playing mind games because I'm just like cruising about. But I genuinely am just cruising. Like I'm just putting all the pieces together. I like, I'm like, well, I know I'm going to hit that fast. So, so I guess that sort of thought is like, where my racer self comes in and the, and the racer that's allowed me to win that many World Cups and hopefully win again. But I genuinely sit at the top of the hill, like even this year in Mont St. Anne, and my coach was like, so what's the plan? I was like, well, we're going to win. But you have to be in such a insane state of mind to believe that out of everybody there and you have no idea what they've been doing well sometimes you do because you see it but genuinely if you want like a good race head you just you just shut everyone else out unless it's useful information and I sit there and believe that I'm the fastest one there on the mountain nothing's happened yet so it's obviously there I just I guess yeah I like to use it when it's necessary yeah and I think if not it can get in the way but I don't know I feel like it's an addictive tool though isn't it like because when you feel good it's like and when you think you feel good you feel un- like unstoppable yeah oh yeah 100 percent. and yeah you just you just pick it up like you'd pick up a allen key set to change your seat post you know it's like that's as pit having your seat in the right position yeah requires a tool i like and, this and, i'm gonna use and this. that is <laughs> as important as anything like if your yeah. seat is too high for your race run like it's that you, yeah you, you needed that tool for that job and it was extremely important you know i've literally i think i just need to use the analogy more because i always say i've got a switch but i tell it to people but i don't actually physically think of it i just know it happens yeah but whereas i feel like if i'm like right let's press the switch because yeah. i do change i know i do yeah like the moment my headphones go in at the top of a race run and i'm starting to warm up like my thoughts are different my the way i moves different the way i talk to people's different like the way i talk to myself is it right i barely have any thoughts at that point which i always find mad like when i'm yeah. in the zone yeah and no one's gonna beat me at that point like it's crazy and then yeah i might come down in fifth but at least I had the mindset, yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, you, yeah, you have to go through that process yeah. 
to, to whether you're going to get fifth or first. Like the process is the same. Yeah. But, yeah, I just think it's so much of life is just perspective. Yeah. You know, and it's just like deconstructing your own perspective of the thing. And it's like understanding that everything is subjective. Like you don't – you almost don't know anything true in your life in the same no. way that I don't. I always say it's like delusional almost. Like I've said it so many times, like – like especially this year when I was like, I turned up to some of the races and thought I was going to win like slightly delusional. I've just had a year and a half <laughs> yeah, off. Yeah. Like I've had like four years of injury prior that like who, like there's literally no facts like. That but, back this up. Yeah, yeah. But if I don't believe in myself, like what is the point of starting? Like what's the point? Like obviously I had different goals this year, but there was still part of me. I'm back racing because I want to start chipping away at being at the top again. And I'd be lying if I said I didn't want to be there again. Like I'm always, I'm so competitive, but I think growing up and racing certain people, it made me realize that I don't always have to have that competitive head on. Like Mm. I can be in a room full of people and not want to be competitive and that's fine. Well, that'd be like to just stay with our analogy. It's like walking into every room with a tool. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, like, well, do you need to carry a shifter around? (laughs) Yeah. 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 But do you need to carry a fucking shifter around to be in the restaurant? You know? So yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I think it's a, like a cool bit of perspective to yeah. think uh, think about it in that sense. Yeah, I'm not going to go in the restaurant with my full face helmet on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you don't need it. But that it's kind of is like a mask in a sense, mm. you know, and and like but you you'd see Max would have all the ego in the world when it comes to like when that tool is helpful. But mm. that tool if you had the same ego around your engineers and if you had the same ego around your mechanics, yeah. if you had the same ego around everybody in your life. Probably get fired, wouldn't you? Well, that tool no, just becomes like a fucking, you just. Yeah. <laughs> like it's not doing. Well, it's not a tool it's anymore. It's not a tool. It's just a fucking hammer. <laughs> you know, like yeah. you're just bashing shit with it. Yeah. So, you know, even here, it's like, it's, he's obviously found the, the balance to where it's like, he's yeah. that guy. And I know like, so me and Ricardo are pretty good friends. Oh, nice. And it's like, he's the that most. That was a name drop. Yes. Yeah, so, so I'll delete <laughs> name it. Name drop and a half. I'll yeah. delete it. <laughs> Just trying to think, who do I know that's better than that? <laughs> he is the exact opposite. Like, the, he has fucking no Yeah, ego. you can tell that, though, yeah. from the stuff. Yeah. yeah. It's like, and, you know, you can, you can sort of be around those two dudes, and it's just like, he almost has. Max has like some crazy weird advantage in a sense to where he's just got like it's, it's a huge advantage. It's like inhabits yeah. that when it's person. so natural as well. And then, but then it's like natural and then backed up and then natural and backed yeah. up and then so it just there's a cycle. That, it's a snowball that, effect. Yeah. But, you yeah. know, you look at a guy like Danny, he's, like, literally the fucking nicest guy yeah. in the world, you know. Like, he's the kind of well, guy that's that That's nice to know because he seems... It. Yeah, yeah, he's, not, he's <laughs> even nicer than he seems, yeah. like, but, which is seems impossible. <laughs> but, you know, he, he'd be, like, the kind of guy where it's just, like, fully in his nature. Like, he'd stop on the side of the track and, like, help yeah. somebody, you know. Yeah. And it's just like, all right, so this is the... You need, like, a fucking dog ego yeah in a, in a certain up to I a feel like point, there's you know? like a balance like we've been saying throughout this whole thing because that osteopath that I mentioned earlier that I saw at the Swiss concussion center when he was doing all that um nerve stuff and I was having dreams and he said to me after one of the sessions he was like do you ever feel like you have two personalities 
And I was like, in what way? And he was like, well, as I see it, bearing in mind, I've not spoken to this man like ever. It's like, well, as I see it, I see that you have um, Tane Seagrave, the racer, the really confident, the girl in pink, the girl that's like knows what's about to go down. She knows her shit. Yeah. And then you've got Tane, the um, scared little girl that's just doesn't want to see the world, doesn't want to engage with anything, doesn't want any problems. And he was like, and I just feel like you've lost a lot of connection between the two. You've mm. like put on this mask for so long now that you've neglected either one of them. It's like you're when you're in one, you're a stranger to the yeah. other completely. And like, I have never felt something so deep. Obviously, at that point in time, I was already like... You're like in that place. Pretty, yeah. And anything that was said to me would just set me off. <laughs> but I just couldn't stop thinking about it. And then he said, um, our job is going to be to reconnect these, you know, these personalities and stuff and ever since he said that yeah that's i think that's why i'm leaning more towards the non-ego side at the minute because i felt like at the time yeah you so it was, leaned into that other side yeah i felt like the other me was neglected and the race of me took all my energy up like because yeah. i just wanted to win all the fucking time that's all that mattered to me like even when my body was going through hell i pushed and pushed and pushed hence why all the panic attacks came i couldn't bear coming second again i was like fuck that like i pushed through everything and it was so unhealthy and i just neglected myself or like because i just fed this monster yeah consistently and just neglected my other self that actually needed me a lot more than my ego self did so yeah yeah it's crazy to hear like i don't know compared to these other athletes but i imagine they will have their own fucking shit going on as well you know but oh yeah that was my like personal experience but it's just funny that the conversations led there and i've just remembered that this guy honestly hadn't chatted to him my boyfriend was in the room at the time and like he's so not spiritual and stuff like that since my concussion he's definitely opened up to it a lot yeah. more and yeah. like he had a concussion as well but yeah after it, he was like well that was weird <laughs> yeah. he was a bit like mm. so i don't know what to think after that he was like you didn't speak to him before i was like no i literally didn't have and he's just an osteo like very like medically driven yeah 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 but yeah he was a cool dude yeah i wish i could hire him and have him follow me around everywhere <laughs> yeah just like always be <laughs> yeah there. just yeah. yeah shrink him and put him in my pocket or something <laughs> when i need him <laughs> would be so helpful that would be a good tool I know that would be that would definitely be a good tool. <laughs> yeah. So the goals for 2024 is just you the almost like the relearning year is out of the way and it's just like mm. fully time to shred again. Yeah. In a way, I think I've still got so much to like like for example at the end of this year I thought I just got a bit caught up in everything again. I was exhausted. Like for a month, I had to just do nothing. And I haven't actually got back into training since then. And I thought after this year, I'm going to be stoked to train, but I've just had no motivation. But I know after how I felt after Mont St. Anne, after my crash, and I was like 10 seconds up before the crash. I was in such a good space. And I want to be there again, for sure. I want to be in the mix. I want to be a threat. I know I can be a threat. Um, I love people seeing me as a threat, like it's fun, but I just want to take my time with it. Like our season doesn't start until obviously minus hardline. Our World Cup season doesn't start till end of May, yeah. beginning of June. So to me, that's a long time. Like six months is a long time. Yeah. And a lot of people are training already, but I just know, you know, my base is still kind of there even after all the time off. 
but I'm just going to slowly just keep building and I want to peak at a certain time. So, you know, like this year I tried to peak at Worlds and that's exactly what we managed to do, even though I wasn't really training that much. So I just want to build a really strong base. So that will make me confident. And yeah, I want to shake things up in 2024, 100%. I feel like like people this year were kind of like, oh, it's nice for her to be back and like, it's good to see her riding again. But I just, I want to be a threat. I want to be like, oh shit, Tali looks good this weekend. Like, I just want to be back on top again, I guess. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I've loved talking to you. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. And it's, uh, yeah, definitely like random. <laughs> on, you, yeah. on your end, you would have been like, uh, okay, I'm coming. <laughs> no, but, I'm stoked. But, uh, yeah, big fan. And, uh, Thank yeah, you. Watch, watch for a long time. And I'm, uh, I'm glad. It's really cool to like, hear the story, hear what you've been through and, you know, the the struggles and what you've learned out of it. And, mm. yeah, it's kind of like a new mode of living, like a new way for you to try and, like, be the – I think it's a cool way that you spoke yeah. about that at it's the exciting. end. It's like how do I be the racer and how do I, like, be that bad motherfucker Yeah, <laughs> and but also be kind and nice and, you know, like that caring person that I'm sure comes very naturally mm. to you. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited yeah. to see how it goes next year. Thank you. <laughs> and we'll, I'll try my best. We'll do it again at some point. Yeah, let's do it. Epic. <laughs>